This is Purple Radio On Demand. Good evening and welcome to Hussock Podcasts. I'm Joseph and I'm here with Joe. Nice. Ollie. Hello, hello, hello. And Lottie. Hello. Nice. 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 Very nice. This is going to be a nice podcast. It yeah, is going to be a nice podcast. I'm We're very all going happy to agree and, it's very and get along. Nice to be nice. here. So, welcome to this podcast. This is the podcast I have been looking forward to for a long time. And this is also the podcast I have been looking forward to You've for a long time. You've both got such big grins on your faces. Oh, we do. <laughs> yes, we have. Because today we shall be discussing Face the Raven, Heaven Sent, and Hell Bent. And spoiler warning for the entire Capaldi era and the rest of the show, but mostly that, because I know what Joseph plans on talking about. Yes. Um, and before we get into this, actually... I'm going to steal the spotlight just for a moment. Because of course you are. I know. Because I have something to say to you, Joseph. How long have you known me? Like um, two and a half years now? So? Yeah, quite a while. Okay, good. Now, I've got... In the spirit of last week's podcast, which you'll know what that is, um, and the others won't yet, but that's okay. Um, yes. <laughs> right, I want on. to say... I have never disliked Hellbent. I have been lying to you. For the last two years, because I've actually always, this is Moffat's second best finale, easily. And I've always really liked it. And I've been, this has been a campaign of trolling that I am unmarked and I'm really satisfied just, just to look at your face right pure, now. You're just I like sort you. of. I knew you would. You see, remember when we were walking back from Husok after watching this episode and you said, I don't think I'll make you think it's a good episode, but I'll make you think it's better than you think it is. And I was like, you've gotten that the wrong way round. I was laughing my ass off. This is, is I don't know if I'm allowed to say that one. Is this the greatest betrayal in Husok history? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. And this is the wrong Capaldi finale for that, Joe. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I don't think anything we can do in the rest of this <laughs> podcast so is going to trump that. No, that's it. We're on the podcast now. Thank you for listening. When we were on that same walk back, you said, mm, I would do whatever it took to be as mean to you as possible in this podcast. And I said, what if I'm nice? And... Was that nice? Really? Was that you nice? You played the long game with this because, like, throughout all the like on the messages on the Discord, oh, in real in life all conversations, of our housemate conversations. It has been two and a half years, oh and my... in the entire time I've known you, you've told me how much you dislike Hellbent. Yes. At what point did you decide to start this? Well, first you talked about how much you liked it, and then I was like, I. I I know this is a divisive episode, and I think this is... You talked about how much you really, really liked it, and I thought this would be really funny. I hate how you. Long you were you right. Wait, did you plan an endgame, or did it... Was no, there was no endgame plan. There was no endgame plan. No end no end game <laughs> no. She just wanted to bully me. Yes. I mean, that is, to be frank, Wait, just on, like, just, just on his I deathbed, mean, were you going to come up to him <laughs> just like... <laughs> I mean, I actually really liked it. <laughs> I figured there would be a point when we'd podcast on the episode eventually, because I imagined Joseph would become president, knowing Joseph, and I imagined he would push Hellbent through, especially because I was encouraging him to by telling him how much I disliked it. It was always going to work. You are an evil genius. 
So, I hate you. Joseph, um, I think the floor of this pot is meant to be yours. Um, yes. <laughs> it's been an insurrection. Just that we've ended up with a podcast where everybody in the podcast likes this episode. I mean, I like this episode. Like Do you like this episode? Mind it. It's 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 all right. I don't think it's <laughs> incredible. That is very fun. We okay. I mean, I will <laughs> still be able not to expected. discuss the parts of it that I don't like because I don't think it's perfect. Um, that is the, the case. I think it's my second favorite Moffat finale by a long mile. Um, it's not perfect. What's your first favorite? The best Moffat finale is twice. Um, not. So. <laughs> there we oh, go. No. Oh, oh no. hello, everyone! No. Breaking news. Joe's favorite Moffat finale is twice a time. Joe's favorite Moffat finale is twice. The Doctor falls. <laughs> this should be obvious. That episode is so mm. good. It is. Right. You just got played. I just got However, played. that's hell bent, and we have two episodes to discuss before we get there. Yes. So as I drag us back on track, five minutes kicking into the and podcast, screaming. <laughs> I can't listen victory for Joe. We start with Face the Raven, which begins, of course, with a phone call to the TARDIS from Rigsy. Who, if you don't remember who he is, don't worry, neither did basically anyone else. He's a guy from Flatline. You know Rigsy. You know. The guy with the baby. Local knowledge. We didn't even have a baby <laughs> yeah. in the, fir- the first <laughs> episode. I mean, in fairness, Flatline is a pretty memorable episode. I think the Flatline is at a least good a series episode. Eight episode. Yeah, but Rigsy wasn't the memorable part. Memorable yeah, part. yeah, that's fair. Rigsy yeah. within that episode was not memorable and only appeared once. And you know, I mean, like you have other recurring guest stars from series eight, like the child Courtney. Was that her name? Yeah, Courtney. Yes. Courtney yeah, Woods. Um, and you know, I mean, I can't say Danny. He's dead. Um, yep. But like, you know. There are, but like, I mean, Danny is memorable because he was in so much of it and he was so annoying. Um, like the words of, I <laughs> yes. think, basically everyone here. Um, yep. But even Joseph doesn't like Danny. Especially Joseph. Joseph. Well, Capaldi era. No, especially Joseph. Capaldi like era, Danny. Clara, character Danny. arc yeah. things. I mean, I know, you know, there's, yeah, anyway, no. Um, Rixie is, I mean, it's a good hook for the episode to invoke a character the audience is already invested in, and it was a good idea. And it was, the audience was not invested enough in Rigsy. In part, like, he just, he really didn't have that much presence. I think it's one of the key differences between the RTD era and the Moffat era. In the RTD era, you feel like you have a universe, and when recurring characters come and go, you feel like they are living their own lives within that universe and you're just occasionally catching up with them. Mm-hmm. In the Moffat era, it feels like he has a collection of toys which he will regularly pull out of the toy box and it's nice to see them come back occasionally. <laughs> you just call Moffat like Andy from watched, Toy Story? Have you not yes. watched the Five-ish Doctors remake? That's exactly what he is. Five, I really I wish I, I tried to, but I, there's nowhere I can find it. I have, I can send you a link. I have it bookmarked on, uh, what's it, Daily Motion. Um, I can, it's one of the, it is my favourite 50th anniversary story. Sorry, (laughs) Day of the Doctor Enjoyers. I just, it's it's such a, it's so funny. It's so good. But yes, the point is, in the Moffat era, they don't feel like they exist when they're not on screen. Mm. And, you know, Rigsy really suffers from that. Like, yes, he's come back, but he just feels like a toy that we pulled out. Rixie is what the um, Doctor describes 
perfectly as just local knowledge. Yeah, that's his function in the story. And he never has, as a character, he never grows beyond his function. And I think this is also, um, what's it, uh, a form Moffat is somewhat self-aware of. I mean, even down to well enough on time where he jokingly calls the companions uh, exposition, exposition and comic relief, which is kind of what he, you like the male companions in RCD as well have traditionally focused around comic relief. Yes, I'm just questioning your he calls them. She, I, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. I was referring to him as in Moffat through Missy. Understandable, but, um, yes. I, like, I should have just said she is in the character who calls them that. But I was referring, I was imagining Moffat the one speaking the line. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Stephen Moffat dabbing on the, the bridge of the ship. <laughs> I know this is the wrong finale, but that's such a fun image. I can't get it out of my mind now. Oh my I'm that traveller in t- time and space, Doctor Who. Um... You imagine if, like, the master regenerates, it turns into just Stephen Moffat. Stephen Moffat. I orchestrated your adventures the whole time, <laughs> literally. <laughs> anyway, behind oh, every failure. Um, but like, it's just you know, the characters exist for their functions, especially the side characters. Like in the Capaldi yeah. era, the main companions are pushed beyond that. I feel, and you know, Amy and Rory are both fantastic characters. Yes. Um, but like a lot of the side characters suffer whereas in the rcd era i feel like you could for this episode bring in a character like mickey or jackie or um you know help like even martha's brother leo would be an equivalent (laughs) character in terms of screen time and you'd feel more invested yeah definitely with riggs it's sort of just like oh that's cool yeah it's cool to see him again for a minute yeah, it's yeah. but but you should really feel invested in his fate. Exactly, that is yeah. The hook of the episode. I don't feel more invested in him than if it was just a completely new character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the advantage of it being him is that you don't need exposition to explain how they get the TARDIS, or you can start the episode right away. Yes, because you don't need some more exposition or some more scenes, which is a good thing. But we don't have that investment that the episode really needs. And I feel like Face the Raven is the worst of this trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't personally feel like it quite lives up to the closest equivalent, which I can think of, is Utopia. Yes. It's, it's the same. It's very much that kind of It's the same structure. It, I'd, I'd say same as also Turn Left and Haunting of Villa Diodati. Same basic sort of structure. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say Turn Similar. Left is more distinct, I'd say. Um, uh, yeah, a bit more. And Haunting but, as well. I think Utopia. Mm. But I agree. It's the same, like episode that leads into a two-part finale yeah. i just think utopia and face the raven are both more like that because they have nothing as episodes beyond leading into the two-part finale yeah that's very true whereas yeah. turn left and as much as i i mean it's one of my favorites of the chibnall era but as much as i dislike it it's haunting of villa <laughs> um you know they have their own standalone plus and merit as an episode yeah you, know, you can that's take fair, out the little link at the end and they'd be yeah. standalone episodes. I mm. think what, I feel like yeah. you can say the same about Utopia. I don't Utopia this it's I don't think you can because it's it's too for me yeah Utopia smooth. yeah Utopia and Face the Raven the distinct difference for me is in Utopia there's a constant need to we need to get these people onto these shit. We need to do this. We need to do mm. that. And there's a big like ten, Utopia there's always tension. has a big there's forward momentum. Big yeah. Big forward momentum. Whereas in Face the Raven, it's it seems quite slow to me. Even though there's a there's a literal ticking clock, mm. 
there's a literal countdown. But Chip we just see, you. <laughs> we just see, <laughs> we just see Moff, not Moff, but we just see Riggsy like calmly going, "Why are they calling me a murderer? I'm not a murderer. <laughs> Why are they calling me a murderer? I it, honestly, if I were there, I would be very panicked. Mm. I think that, but a more audience investment and perhaps you know a more frantic mm. nature of this. Um, especially after, you know, I mean, I love the line as much as I disagree with it. Uh, in many ways, there's no easy way to tell someone they're about to, like, you know, yeah. there's no nice way to say you're about to die. Um, and there is moments of panic, but it's kind of the urgency is present and then forgotten. Yeah. You don't see Wigsy feeling urgent when you're there searching through maps to try and identify trap streets or yeah. during the search. It feels like if any, they're like, all trying to get together and solve a fun mystery, which is not a bad thing, but I think it fails the episode and what yeah. the episode needs. Once you've introduced the stakes as life or death, mm. it should then feel like life or death. My dude has 24 doesn't. hours to live and he's spending it like half the time walking around London. <laughs> yeah. Utopia has a forward momentum, a push, like the future kind, as this kind of danger, even, and I'm, I've looked at this and I've laughed. <coughs> Sorry. I've looked at this and I've laughed um, when watching the episode. Like, the number of times they cut to that, like, very similar shot of that one future kind who's the infiltrator <laughs> who then bears their teeth. I, yeah. I rewatched. It's like, like it's very repetitive, but it helps keep the danger in mind. So it does actually work as much as I, I take the. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word. Um, <laughs> You're not, no. Okay, as oh. much as it takes the peeve. Um, we need a list of words on the wall that we're not allowed to say. I've already violated it once, probably. I don't know. Um, and, like, you know, it just, Utopia has that forward momentum, and it's also driven by this wonderful amount of world building, which I think this is one I face the Raven does do quite well, but not quite well enough, and I'll get into that later. Um, and the ongoing character dilemma of Professor Yana, especially as you delve more and more into the real mystery of the episode, which I think Face the Raven doesn't get into as much, no, aside from a few shots of a girl with two faces. Yes. Mm. And, you know, it's sort of... The solution sort of comes out of nowhere. Is it? Yeah, respect. it's a very much yeah. a pull it out of the hat thing. It's not. It's not established beforehand or anything like that, or sort of a brief mention. They just say, "Oh, this species with one head, one tells the past, one tells the future." I can't remember. <laughs> it is established through exposition. Yeah. I mean, in yeah. some sense, it doesn't feel so much like a solution, considering the whole point was to save a life, was to save Riggsy's life, and Clara ends up dying to that cause. So it's, they didn't really, it didn't feel like a solution to me. And when that, that happens, it doesn't feel like so much of a problem to me. And also the, fo the focus of Face the Raven isn't so much revealing that this thing is true. It's leading it up to a certain Carl's event. Which is, um, yeah. I would say the same thing with Utopia is the episode is building around the reveal of the master. But I feel like a reveal as opposed to an event is a different kind of thing to structure an episode around. I, yes and no. Because I think, you know, there's, like, the episode, it structures itself as an event, and it's, you know, the, the reveal that Clara is about to die and there's nothing anyone could do about it is 
you could equally say that, or you could say the event of the Master's return. I think that that is somewhat interchangeable. They're definitely similar like, things. Because they are similar things, and I think that structuring an episode around a reveal that leads into more, like, you know, it, in Face the Raven, not that Clara's death doesn't have impact, because I think it's a well, like, crafted death, and it's a good scene at the end, but I don't feel like the rest of the episode does a good enough job at building up to it. And it doesn't maintain enough forward interest and momentum. Mm -hmm. And combine that with, you know, what is, I think in the end, this very complicated and overstructured gambit on the part of me and the Time Lords that is not entirely explained until hell bent and even then it's not quite satisfactory it's just a little bit of a mess um i feel i quite like the way they build to clara's death because because it in in the sense that it doesn't feel so serious for a while and then suddenly it's like wait clara's gonna die that very much to me feels like it's reflecting how Clara sees the situation and actually why Clara dies because the whole point is, is that Clara doesn't take it seriously enough. Yeah, Cla Clara like thinks she can do whatever be, she wants. I think that could be reflected better if Rigsy didn't also seem to have the exact same point of view. Yeah, and, no, uh, yeah, that Maybe makes there sense. was a contrast there and, you know, in that case... And then you could also have Rigsy be like, I'm panicked and I'm about to die, but, you know, and then... Also, not immediately, like, and I think one of the things the episode as well is Riggsy doesn't immediately want to give it over to Clara just because Riggsy's also concerned for Clara, which is fair. Mm. Yeah. But I think juxtaposing that with more of a concern would make that moment more impactful, make Clara's decision more, in Clara's nonchalance about it, with Riggsy being less nonchalant about it, more apparent. And because that is, you are right, that nonchalance is exactly why Clara dies. Hell, um, me and Joseph, we rewatched Silver Nemesis yesterday, and there's the one line in that episode where, um, keep on listening to me because that's the reason you're still alive, or whatever. Yes, it was Clara saying, I'm still alive because I do what the doctor tells me. Yes, that, that's <laughs> the one. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's very true, actually. Yes. And we all watched it and went, yeah, if you could keep that in mind, it might help you. <laughs> Hang on, when you said Silver Nemesis, did you mean Nightmare and Silver? We did. I, yeah, I meant okay, Nightmare I was and very confused. I don't Clara's think Clara was in that episode. Is, is there an episode called Silver Nemesis? Yes, yes. yes. it's a Sylvester McCoy one. Ah. Yeah. It's uh, no, my least Clara does appear favorite. in it, uh, It because yeah. she's an echo from uh, oh, Name God. of the Doctor. Oh, <laughs> she's one of the background extras. You wouldn't she's know the one waving. On <laughs> she's yeah. the Queen of England. She's the one frantically waving. I knew it. No, um... That is fair. Silver Nemesis is... It's my least favourite of the series 25-26 Sylvester McCoys. That's besides yes. the point. It's not relevant. It's not at all relevant. There's a lot of conversations to have about Face the Raven uh, as well. Going back to Rigsy. Um, this is kind his... of the central axis of the story, and yet it's yeah. a, it kind of shows the structural issue when it's not... It, Rigsy is kind of meant to be the wheel the story turns around, at least in getting the audience involved and in transferring the fate to Clara and yet it doesn't quite feel like that especially because you know the episode's ultimate focus is meant to be about Clara um, and it's I guess you can try and see two different it's it's a clumsy execution but the aesthetic is gorgeous by the way I just want to establish <laughs> that actually the, the set design yeah the set design is amazing it's beautiful um, I know I made jokes about 
the uh, budget saver field because <laughs> yep. that is kind of what it is. It is. Um, but I, also, I love the concept of a, an asylum street. I do as well. Yeah. I absolutely love the concept. I love that, you know, they tie it in a bit to the Zygons, even if there's no way you could fit 10,000 Zygons on one street. <laughs> yeah. um, I like the idea. Uh, and there's a lot of good stuff going into it. Equally, it also, I don't feel like they delve enough into actually how it works or what makes it work. And the fact that there are, you know, Cybermen here, which <laughs> also feels more incongruous compared to like Ood or Werewolf aliens, which, you know, the Cybermen and Doctor Who are established as, it's not just that there aren't good Cybermen, it is that they're a good Cyberman will instantly die, like <laughs> a, a, so the moment their emotions are granted back. And for Cybermen, not the same as the real world, uh, this seems to be an equation where the Cybermen are mainly focused on upgrading people and not having morals. And it feels unusual that a Cyberman would coexist on a trap street like this. Yes, it I've, does I, seem slightly yeah. odd. I, I think... Like an Ood presence mm. makes... I mean, I don't know how an Ood ends up on Earth now, but cool. I, I love seeing Ood. It's okay. <laughs> I don't mind that. A Cyberman is like, that's somewhat jarring. I mean, I'm just glad they didn't put a Dalek there because then that'd be like... Oh, Imagine. God. <laughs> I, no, yeah. I just... am seeking Asylum of the Daleks. <laughs> oh, no. The perception is just a bin. <laughs> I, I particularly dislike when me says, do you think a Cyberman fears a merciful death? Because firstly... Do you think a Cyberman fears anything? Yeah, yeah okay. A Cyberman <laughs> doesn't fear anything. No fear. It doesn't matter yeah. how merciful it is. Yeah. And, okay, yes, a Cyberman will take logical steps to avoid death, but whether the death is merciful or not still makes no care. difference. Like, the Cyberman, if a Cyberman fears anything, you could argue it's death, but it's not merciful or unmerciful death. The yeah, Cyberman exactly. does not care about suffering or pain. Those are feeble human things. Like, the, um, the, on, the only possible way you can headcanon that the Cyberman would care if it's merciful is if the emotional inhibitor is broken, in which case it's the same as every other species and saying Cyberman is completely irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there are some incongruities with the way it works and I wish we got more time in some ways developing, or rather I wish the time was better spent developing Trap Street, maybe finding it sooner and delving yeah. into that because that would also help speed up the slow pace of the beginning and give the episode more forward momentum, which I think would be what it kind of needs. Speaking of speeding up and getting forward momentum, Let's, yeah. I'm going to drag us to the end of the episode so yeah, that I, I don't run fair. out of time to talk think, about Hellbent. Yeah, we've got the me, Time Lord Gambit, and then Clara's death. And I think yes. those are the two main things that I'll have to talk mm. about. I won't go into it if we're running out of time, but I just want to very quickly say I love the misdirection circuit. It feels like a very Moffat thing, and I think it really works. I don't know why they didn't call it a perception filter. Because it, it does seem to be the same filter. thing. Yeah, like it's a perception filter. Why do you call Coke? Why is like Coca-Cola, Pepsi? I guess. Yeah, but no, Different but like brands. yeah, but <laughs> a perception filter. It's like, why would you call Coca-Cola Pepsi? But if you've called it Coca-Cola a hundred times before, True. and only now you're True. drinking it out of a bottle True. that's labelled Coca-Cola, and you're like, that's Pepsi. Um, <laughs> like, yes, you're not technically wrong, but. You know, you're not wrong, but like, you're not right either. Like, I feel like you could just call it a perception filter. Yes. I don't think it makes much of a difference. I just, I think you could just call it. Do that. you think he gets like a sort of knock on his door every time he gets like he writes perception filter? It's like, 
Steve, have you written about perception filter anyway, again? Anyway, forward momentum. <laughs> yes. So, <coughs> Clara died, Rip. Yeah. <laughs> no, Clara did die. Anyway. <laughs> yes, so we have the thing anyway. with the yeah. Doctor having to use the key to yeah. Which release how, the woman. Did I forget in how me acquired what the TARDIS, or was it like the Time Lords? I assume it came from the Time Lords. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's not really specified, but that seems, it doesn't seem out of the realms of possibility. I so imagine the Time Lords. The Time Lords have given her instructions. It makes sense that they've given her it feels level. weird mm, that it's, yeah. it's this it's this very convoluted trap where they put like i'm just gonna go through the course of actions to see the nature of this okay so step one the time lords want to talk to the doctor about the hybrid this is yes. their goal how do they go about doing this well Rather than, like, let's assume, first of all, that the Doctor has disabled the previous things that let the Time Lords just take control of the TARDIS and move it to Gallifrey. Yep. Um, we're assuming that, like, that's out of the way. Okay, so they reach out to me for some reason. Like, I don't know why, but this is the person they decide to reach out to. And now, in order to do this, they come up with a plan, especially because now the Time Lords, me must then tell the Time Lords, can you give me the exact schematics of the Doctor's key so we can remove that? Or the, t the Time Lords have to say, we need you to also get rid of the Doctor's key. And there has to be some level of actual discussion here because of the convoluted nature of the plan. <laughs> to do this, me phones a random associate of the Doctor's, who I don't know how, like she's been watching the Doctor for enough time, okay. He comes round because they're blackmailing him or whatever. I think that's the plot. Um, and he goes round and visits. And then they drug him and put a death lock on him to lure the doctor into the trap street. Um, which, I mean, you know, okay, I can see the idea of it to be some degree bait. Fair enough. It gets more convoluted. Step two in the plan. They have him fake a murder in order to justify it to the others, which, to be honest, I don't think me really needs to do. It doesn't look like she needs to justify anything to anyone. Um, but the murder does of fake the murder of a beloved community member and then leave behind the child who everyone apparently thinks is a boy and thus cannot see the future, but actually can, but actually that's part of me's gambit. I don't really, like, because that's the clue that gets them to me's house to save some, like, that has to have been a step in the logic, right? But then why was it? Okay, well, let's move on to the next part of the plan, wherein the, now, in order to save this life, um, first of all, they have to have assumed that there is no way in which, you know, it could be transferred, because apparently once it has been transferred, nothing can undo it which i don't feel was exactly established earlier on no but i don't mind it if it was established earlier on clara wouldn't have done it and it would wouldn't work then yeah. or unless it was established to the doctor and yeah, not or to clara. established to the audience at the very least um, yeah i suppose clara doesn't have to know for it to be established exactly to us. clara does not have to know and you more don't than just get that the it is dramatic think, ending yeah. though when you discover that it's that's true, yeah, but that's also I feel like the episode it tiptoes around the subject in some ways where it kind of it is designed to not just 
like say like this not say this isn't the case but it almost suggests that there is no reason why it wouldn't be the case and it leans into that in a way that's a bit too much of a subversion of expectations the best reveals are ones you can see coming absolutely yeah. and mm. you know like the idea of a plot twist being predictable is a bad thing is so stupid to me because no you want to see it coming you want to have more appreciation for rewatch value and you can see the failings of Clara's decision but there's no real step along the way when the audience or Clara and I don't mind it for Clara's sake could have had any inclination of this um so anyway the plan goes on like this had to not happen uh because otherwise me's going back on word and then there needed to be a trap which would put in the key and turn the the key which would then take the tardis key and that there's no other way of doing this um in order to save this person's life because they're in stasis but they're not even going are they going to die or they just have to save it to prove Riggsy. All right, prove Riggsy. Yes. Yeah, okay, fair. Um, even then, you know, I guess exposing me to Cybermen wouldn't work on its own, I suppose. Um, to know that me is perverting the rules of the street, you know, which are built up to be very important to every other character would not be enough. And then not only is the mechanism for taking the key, it then also like a specific machine for yanking the doctor's hand in and strapping on a towel. Surely, when the Time Lords can stop time in a moment as they do in Hellbent <laughs> and remove, extract Clara from the time stream, there is an easier way to grab the doctor, namely doing that exact thing. An image has just popped into my head, not exactly of that, but just when the Doctor, Clara and Riggsy walk into the trap street and can't move because they've got the thing that's <laughs> keeping their feet still, what if me just goes up to the Doctor, bonks him on the head, knocks him out, takes the key and puts the teleport on? Just Brilliant! No, me like, is probably just like, oh, jeez, gotta write like, that down. I feel like the plan is so overly convoluted to the point of nonsensicality. Do you think she was just like really tired when she was thinking of this plan. Yeah, yeah. Maybe she forgot it all and wrote it down in her diaries and only read it later. No, she like, read it later and was like, oh, I, I don't know. I, oh, he's on his way. Works. I don't have time. Guys, as we rehearsed. Yeah, no, but like, really, they could have plonked him down. Uh, like, immediately, there are, must have been a hundred better ways of doing this. Um... But we're not done yet. That's the worst part. Because now we Act have two. A, a short-range teleport on the Doctor, which is stated to be a short-range teleporter in Heaven Sent for the location of the confession dial. Which then, as I've talked about before, okay, so it's displaying the stars as though they were within an area within one light year of Earth at that time. But it is also on Gallifrey. Um, See, my, my assumption... And this like, sounds I, a little bit strange. I imagine the confession dial is like floating in space somewhere and there's like a portal to Gallifrey behind the wall. I mean, and then it, it kind of pops up on Gallifrey. Yeah. I, I imagine I mean, why would they... Dimension or something. I mean, like, I assume the teleporter teleports the Doctor into the confession dial. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, that is the point of the short-range teleporter. What happens to the confession dial? Why would you... Do you think it just Put it got... in random parts of space. Well, to be fair, it could just be on Earth somewhere and looking up. Like, mm. I don't know. I... Then why does it end up, like, suddenly on Gallifrey when the Doctor... Because the Time Lords don't expect the Doctor to punch his way out, I space must assume. Space postage. 
I guess. It Perhaps it's got a failsafe that if you break out of it, it takes you to Gallifrey. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense because I can't see any reason you'd put the stars yeah. like over you like that I, to, to be exact, exactly like, correct to the time zone. I can't see a reason to either, but it's a very important plot point in Heaven Sent. I, for me... Like, I don't think it, yeah. it doesn't affect my enjoyment overall mm. of Heaven Sent, but it adds mm. another step to the nonsensical nature of the Time Lord's plan when we, yeah. the, the episodes themselves demonstrate a few ways in which they can very easily get around it. We Namely, plonking the Doctor on the head, giving him some retcon, maybe, and, like, class some retcon and just sending them away. Yeah. We already know that the Time Lords are just, like, absolutely just so over the top. Yeah, we, we watched The Deadly Assassin recently. <laughs> like, they're supposed to be the most advanced civilization in the universe, but they're clearly not. The Deadly Assassin portrays the, the Time Lords like they're an Oxford University. Yeah, um, exactly, yeah. So yeah, anyway, I think that's enough for Joe's ranting about me's plan, but I wanted to do that, and I hope you can understand yes. why. Yeah. And that was I, Joe's I rant, so this is the end of the Hussock podcast. No! <laughs> <That's> not... <laughs> okay, Clara's death, actually. Clara's death, which is dramatic, to say the least. Yes, and I think well done. I, th- I, think, so. I think, for me, Clara's death is the most well-executed companion exit there is, which is why I originally, on first watch, really disliked Hellbent, because it felt like it undid that. Mm. On first watch, okay. Uh, I'm going to get into my feelings on the nature of the companion exit when we come around to Hellbent. I like the death here. I don't feel it's the most well-executed. Um, I think I love Martha's exit, just because it was a, it's about time we have a companion who just decides to say, actually, no. This is toxic. As and someone leaves. who's had to rewatch all of Martha's, like, all of Martha's traumas and things <laughs> like that, so that they could do a forty-second yeah. edit of it. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Martha's saying, edit. "I'm out." <laughs> yeah, it's a mature and good like, character decision. Did and you mean Ryan Sinclair? Oh no, I didn't. Oh. I did not. I'm because I mean I'm I'm ignoring how Chris Chibnall treats the Doctor because I don't think he thinks about it. But um, I think Stephen Moffat's and this ties into what I think of these three episodes as well quite heavily. I mean both with the Time Lords and like the Doctor does not seem to come about to the idea that especially with the Time Lords this is my one big criticism of Hellbent were wrong. It's a purely Rassilon problem. It is a Rassilon problem. And the High Council as well. The Doctor kicks them all out. And the Doctor... But I'm going to come on to this more later. When we're talking about Hellbent. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, you know... I mean, like, that's why we don't have... Martha leaves because the Doctor was not good for her. And Martha recognises that. Um, I don't think... Moffat ever really actually says that the Doctor was not good for Clara. And, like, you know, the idea is that their relationship is so toxic to both of them, but in the end, it is the Doctor who is the one on the receiving end of the punishment and Clara who gets immortality. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. And I I may change my mind on that one as the podcast goes on, but... It like I like Clara's death here. I think it's very well. I don't think it's my um, my main thing is it's not my favorite because I I love uh, I love 
basically every companion exit. Before think, the Chimney. Before era. the Chimney. <laughs> yeah. I think actually, I love every single one of them, up until Bill's, which I feel does a slight disservice to her as a character. Um, and then the Chibna ones just no. Um, yes. I I like Bill until she gets rescued by a magic puddle. But I also feel yes. But I also feel that converting the first POC queer companion into a Cyberman for like suffering for all eternity, like it's because the Doctor could not. Like, it's you're on slightly shaky ground at that point. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. Like, there are some issues there. There is a reason why, in the wake of when they were doing the pandemic watch along in 2020, they decided not to show World Enough and Time the Doctor Falls after the Black Lives Matter protests were happening at the same time. And I don't think that was the wrong decision. Um, no. Even then, and it could have been worse. But, like, it's just the entire thing is a bit messy, where Bill is fridged in a way. If it, if it wasn't, like, a POC queer companion, I would say I wouldn't have any issue with it. I would not, either, I think. Yeah. Um, I would still feel like it's a somewhat disservice to the companion, but it would not be as on shaky ground as it is. Yeah. Anyway, Clara's death, it's a good moment. I like it. Is. it. Yes. Um, I like that she doesn't run. I like that level of ability to understand and respect and embrace death as not a bad thing, actually. And, you know, it's something that, I guess, means a lot to me. Um, and it's just, it's nice to see Clara do that. It's some of, it is the bravest thing she ever does. And the Doctor gets to step all over it later on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Look at your greatest achievement. Let me just move that one. Yeah. And also, Clara's speech to the Doctor, I don't... I mean, I know we've had a lot of... I imagine I'm, you're going to get onto this when we get onto Hellbent as well, I imagine, because I think you've got all this lined up, and I'm wanting to leave that for you. Just, I know that just there's been discussions between me, you, and Lorna in Husok in the past about whether that scene indicates Clara actually understands the Doctor or not. Indeed. And I imagine you'll get onto that, so I'm not going to actually steal your thunder on that one. So... Yes. Anything so, else to say death, or do we want to move on to Heaven Sent? I think we ought to move yeah. on. I think we ought to move on. Given we're almost at a full-length podcast already, and we've only got through oh, one of three. <laughs> we've been going for 38 minutes. That's not almost. We'll go, go on as long as we did Dalek's Master Plan. Longer. <laughs> it's going to be a, it's gonna 24 be a long hour podcast. 24-hour podcast, baby. Yeah. Let's go. We'll be here for a while yet. Wonderful. Bear with us. Uh, so, see, I hope you enjoy seeing the two-hour runtime on this podcast when you like clicked on the Spotify Welcome link. Welcome to the two-hour special of Who Sought Podcasts. Yes. It's nice. It, it is it's nice. It's nice. Nice. So, anyway, <laughs> nice. speaking of nice things, Heaven's pretty nice. Shall we move on to Heaven Sent? Let's. Yes, because this episode is, you know, I mean, the Doctor does not say Heaven in this episode. The Doctor says Hell. Who farted? I don't know. <laughs> Do we, I think was it was next door. Was oh, my God. Okay. Is this is supposed to be a soundproof area. Yeah. It was someone really let that rip. Oh so God. if we're acting out so... of character next time you see us, it's because we've been murdered by Slavine and they are disguising themselves as us. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. But it's okay, I'm a good person. Nice. I spared someone once. That's all right then. Aww. We really need to move on to Heaven yeah, Sent. Please. Yes. <laughs> Fortunately, this will probably be slightly shorter because I think it's almost universally agreed that this is an incredible episode. Yes. Yeah. Capaldi's Heaven Sent is... My favourite episode in the Capaldi era. 
it's yes, one I'll, of my I'll top few, that. I think. Like, mm-hmm. and it's, I think it's in my top ten overall, and that's, I have a, a lot of very strong RTD era episodes. I think it's my favourite episode in New Who that is not RTD, um, in the RTD era. So obviously, yep. like, it's a Moffat episode in the RTD era, like, there's, like, I, I prefer Silence in the Library, Fast of the Dead. Which is fair. Um, it's fair. I think the I probably of do too. disagrees. Um, <laughs> no, I I agree Jacob. with that one. Yeah. Anyway, um, heaven's it's it's a wonderful episode. Yes. So of course, in Heaven Sent, we have the Doctor on his own, trapped in the confession dial, being followed by the Veil, a creepy thing, which is not the Veil Andrax, but a different Veil that yes. will make it a very different episode. Oh yeah! Imagine the just—it's all of it like Capaldi strutting around with a long lizard tongue. Lossy, <laughs> yes. Lossy, Lossy. What? No, no. Oh, I well, saw that you look can... on your face. No, my face was just—I'm very tired and I don't know what's happening anymore. <laughs> sure. No, me neither. Understandable. Do you not know who the veil is? No. From I the know. Sarah Jane I know what you mean. I know what you w- mean. What but then I just have. It from? Um, it's from the Prisoner, Prisoner of the Judoon. Oh, the lizard man. Oh, lizard that man one. Dresses in full leather. Okay, okay. His species is called the Veil. Oh right. No, no, we watched outside. Wait, no, we watched it. We watched it in Hoosock. Yeah. I was about to say we did Judoon week. Yeah, yeah, no. When you were when you were talking about like Capaldi being like possessed by Andrevax, my brain had a flashback to just like Elizabeth Sladen just as Andrevax yeah. and then it and then just me staring at the table me staring at the table and then me realising damn I am really tired <laughs> anyway we really need to move heaven on to Heaven Sent we're talking about the veil yes. no this is actually like Heaven Sent we're going round in circles and circles <laughs> yeah. and circles yeah. yes and of course making various confessions as he goes to move things round yeah in the confession dial which I mean, like, there's a few things in Heaven Sent that don't quite line up, and I don't care. This does not reach, like, it's not the plot of the episode, like, Face the Raven kind of is bogged down by, I think, a little. Um, Heaven Sent, it moves forward with a very strong sense of forward momentum. It, it's, you know, like, it deals with, and, like, I could see Heaven Sent as a horror video game. I would want to design that video game and I would want to play that video game because it would be fantastic. Mm. It would be. It it masters. It is the first time, I think, like Stephen Moffat, no, not the first time, but it's one of the best times Stephen Moffat has done proper emotional horror without the need for a gimmick, without the need for the weeping angels don't blink or the silence don't look away or whatever, you know, Stephen Moffat, um, to quote the doctor from uh, the Satan Pet, playing on very primal fears, very good psychologist. Stephen Moffat does that a lot. The fear of shadows or the dark, um, the Vashta Narada. He does that a lot for a lot of the scary ones. Heaven Sent doesn't and is stronger for it. Yeah, it's just a case of it's coming for you. It is coming and for it will and never and ever and stop. It will not and stop. it is, you know, the ideas and the illusions of death in the episode. Uh, given Clara has just died, thematically it lays itself so well. You can see it coming, you can know it coming, you can run away from it as long as you want. And in this case, you can only escape from it by confessing. Um, yes. And like the idea, like the little screens, especially in the background where you can see the doctor like on the screens before you see the veil mm. is so effective. You can see the flies 
it works so very well. Um, like, the only thing that slightly irks me about the episode is the one moment when it goes a little too Sherlock. Um, Do you mean the inside the TARDIS? I, I really like the, that. So I don't mind the inside the TARDIS. Ah, I think it's that. a great way of portraying the Doctor's thoughts. What I dislike is then, as he goes, oh yes, I calculated the gravity by throwing down these things and doing those things <laughs> in the scene before. Like, I am now expositing for a few moments on how I know this or whatever. The inside, the TARDIS stuff, I don't mind. It's that exposition. It's that what feels, goes on inside the TARDIS. Like, not just what, no, but just, most of what yeah. goes on inside the TARDIS is wonderful. It is that specific yes. moment of what goes on inside the TARDIS. See, I don't mind that. I really like it because it really shows, to, show, to me, it really shows how much the Doctor is constantly thinking, constantly working things out in ways we can't even realise. And it, I think that really gives a sense of like how much he's thinking all the time and I think that yes but it's just Stephen Moffat inserting his own thought process again <laughs> I don't mind yes. that. I but also I quite like the idea that the doctor's been doing this for so long that he's working on instinct yeah he's, he's exactly. making these calculations without even realising he's doing it to yes. find a way out and I quite like that mm-hmm. mm. and it's it's therefore it doesn't feel like it's just exposition it is genuinely the doctor working out what he has done to work out how to escape and i think that, that is fair it i more. think that is a better way of looking at it yes I, you know because you know that's not true of sherlock which is why yeah i'm much more happy for you to criticize it like that yeah whereas i think there is a justification for and it, I, yeah. I do think this is better than when it happens in sherlock as well especially most of it is all very useful i think that is there um and it's a writing habit of Moffat that irritates me. But I do like that as a character interpretation. Yeah, I agree with that. I would also say there is one scene within the TARDIS I do not like. Which is the Clara is the Doctor Clara scene, at the scene. End. Like, It's not necessary. Like, you don't need Clara to... I think having Clara's face not shown throughout the episode is more effective. Mm. Yeah. But we do see Clara's face, which is... That's the issue. Yeah. That's what we're yeah. saying is the oh, issue. Yeah. I, I'm th- saying I thought you were saying like... It would be more this effective. We could show Clara's back, that's fine. Mm. But it would be more effective if we don't see her face. Do you think they just like had a contract where Jenny Coleman had to be in every episode? No. <laughs> I doubt it. No, I don't know. And even I don't then, think Jenny Coleman's complaining. She's in the episode anyway. Yeah, no. But like, you know, we've gotten away with Doctor Companion-like episodes in the past. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, Flatline almost gets pretty close to a chunk of it. Um, it's true. But just, also doesn't. It, it also doesn't at <laughs> yeah. all. But it's it's more like it feels sometimes like for the scenes where, where the Doctor's still in the TARDIS, it's very much our scheduling issues came up here, so we've CGI'd the Doctor <laughs> in and <laughs> given some ADR to make it look like he's still in the episode. And I don't mind it, it's very fun. Exactly. Um, I, mm. I think with this episode, I've got like two things, but um, first thing is there's a definite theme, obviously, of circles and cycles, down to even like the... The, the places, castle. The castle Look, itself. It's a circle yeah. and it moves circle, in circles. The looping, the repeating of lines, the mm. we've seen this thousands of times and times and times again. And even the even as we see like the stars moving across the sky like mm. circular like I that's just a it's it's an obvious one, but it's like it's sort sort of really really nice for me. I hadn't <laughs> nice. really noticed like, that, nice. but I love nice. that. I no, love it's, that. It's a very true thing about the episode. The big yeah. themes, you know, there's a lot of 
like circular imagery leading into the loop mm -hmm. and there's death in like a lot of death as well and you had a second thing the second thing was like i remembered <laughs> <laughs> yay but i can't it's gone but it is it's, <laughs> you it's remember gone. she didn't <laughs> i didn't remember do you remember what i was gonna say <laughs> Please. Funnily enough, yes, I do, actually. Yay. Oh, you said well. it last time we had this podcast. Ah, last... What? <laughs> <laughs> Why is it then? Why is it always then? I think we have been doing this podcast for 7,000 years. It does feel point. like that. And we'll be doing it for another four and a half billion yeah. more. Mm. Yeah. But it's... We've moved four and a half billion years into the future. <laughs> but I think what we... Ah, here it is. There it is. We, this is like, for me, I can't think of another one. If any of you can, it'll be great. Um, <laughs> this is sort of the first episode where we see the Doctor not trying to protect someone else, not trying to um, sort of stop something from happening. The Doctor is purely trying to escape and purely That's trying to true. for their yes. own survival. Yes, I would agree with that. Completely. And it's it's quite interesting to see, and especially with Capaldi's acting which i cannot stress enough it's phenomenal fantastic. every single i was about to swear a phenomenal <laughs> every single time yeah but like the, the, so we see how sort of we see sort of the emotion behind the doctor they're not really knowing what to do they don't know how, what to do in terms of like they're so used to protecting other people when it turns to protecting themselves the first time they see the the veil they're like oh this is strange i'm afraid i'm actually afraid to die yeah yeah and more mm. than just that as well it's a fear of the doctor's nightmares but the most effective horror is when your protagonists are scared as well if your protagonists are not scared or do not appear scared the audience will not be either because it does not appear like the protagonist thinks this is a threat to be taken seriously but you have yes. you, you have to make that justified because i feel yeah the, no, i always think of hyde yeah. where Ma oh, where, where the 11th doctor goes <laughs> I'm I'm actually scared. I'm like, why are you scared? This is we just. We were talking about how bad Hyde was <laughs> after watching Nightmare and Silver I yesterday. Hate Hyde. It's got to be. So hate Hyde. I think it's my worst, my least favorite episode in the Moffat era. Did you know? Is I mean, Hyde I, I think I mean I don't think it's my least favorite. Yeah. Sleep yeah. no more. But Hyde oh, was the Hyde only episode. Hyde was the only episode until, um, the one after Robots of Sherwood. Um, which one was that? Um, not the listen? listen listen yeah until listen which i did not watch live since i started watching doctor who i skipped hide for some reason i don't remember why it might have been D, &D night um, <laughs> point is i missed hide and it took me a while actually to go back and watch it and when i did i was like i wasn't missing anything you no really weren't um you know, it's There's like, one lovely scene with the Doctor and Clara in the TARDIS talking about how the Doctor sees everyone as ghosts. That's that bit I good. really like. That's, yeah. Other than that, I hate the whole episode. Yeah, that's fair. Um, that is really fair. I was going to say we should do a Hyde podcast at some point, but then we have to watch Hyde. Yeah, yeah no. we shouldn't do that. Um, anyway, shall we get on to Heaven Sent? Oh my so god, I just, I just googled what my age would have been when Heaven, Heaven Sent or like Hellbent came out. I would have been 11. You're that's baby. weird. What? You're a child? You're a child. That's terrifying. Hang on. I mean, I was 13, so. What was it, 2015? 2015. I'd have been, yeah, I'd have been 12 ish. 11 or 12. Because, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Blimey. It's it is, terrifying. <laughs> it is weird to think the Day of the Doctor came out when I was 11. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose Time of the Doctor was when the first episode the I watched live, and I was uh, uh, 10. 2013, 15 Oh, 2013. Yeah. I was 12. Yeah, shut the heck up. <laughs> shut the heck up. You're Nine. a child. Nine, damn it. <laughs> You're all children. Anyway, yeah, no. Um, uh, point being, heaven sent, it's a masterpiece of, you don't just want your character to be scared for, like, if like if your character feels like there's no actual reason for them to be scared, as you were saying before we got yeah. to <laughs> dunking on Hyde, which is entirely appropriate and honestly a good use of any podcast time ever. Yes. Um, it's... You want them to feel scared and you want it to feel justified. And this is one where it, it scares the audience as well. The threat is real and dangerous and you can understand why the Doctor is scared. And that makes it better. Another episode I think does this really well is Midnight. I think oh, the Doctor is terrified Incredible. of Midnight. Yes. Um, at Midnight, the Doctor is still acting on behalf of others. But, you know, it's... I think Midnight is kind of my closest comparison to Heaven Sent in a way, even if they are completely opposites as well. Yeah. Because they're both, mm. one of them is about the Doctor with himself, and the other one is about humans perceiving the Doctor. Um, and they're very different, but they are also like two sides of the same coin. Yeah, they're, opposites. Bo- they're both yeah. the situation two episodes, where the Doctor. Both alike in dignity. Like, comparison with that episode is like, bo- in both episodes, the Doctor feels trapped. Yeah. And things like that. I th- yeah. Midnight is. You sort of feel the claustrophobia of both episodes mm. in terms of, well, the Doctor is stuck in the castle and trying to get out. The um, uh, on the train at midnight, it's sort of even more so. Yeah, like, I think. What a great special. advert for our next podcast. Midnight has to be we'll the episode that scares yeah, me the most <laughs> in all yeah. of Doctor oh, Who. Yeah, midnight is next. Um, so we won't go into any more well, detail. Well, yeah, no, that'll be podcast true, true. seventy. So that'll be a great time. Yes. In case anyone hasn't yet figured out why we're saying nice. Um, nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. I thought we were just saying nice. It's nice to say nice. It yeah. is nice to say nice. It, yeah, but th- there is a reason why. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I, I hadn't realised. I hadn't. I just going along with it. Nice. I I I, 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 I realised a while after you said why we were saying nice just then. Yes. Nice. So, in the meantime, through up. these confessions, we discover properly more about the hybrid. Yeah. Um, and I have mixed feelings on this because I have mixed feelings on the hybrid as an arc. That hasn't... I think Hellbent is good. I still have mixed feelings on the hybrid as an arc in leading up to Hellbent. Which is fair. Which, it's just... It is a, a very tokenistic motivation to put these events in play. And it happens, and I think, you know what, the idea of the hybrid being the Doctor and Clara is good. It is. I think that's wonderful. I think that's fantastic. I don't understand why people on the internet were so confused about it for a while. No, like, they say it in the episode. There is, there, there is no theorising about what the hybrid is. It is the Doctor it's and Clara. Sense. That is obvious. But they don't yep. destroy Clara and stand in its ruins. Yeah. They don't, but they do stand in Gallifrey's ruins. They, they literally stand in Gallifrey's ruins in the episode. Yes. Oh, I suppose so, but they don't. No, they they, they go to the end of time. The and end. Oh. Oh. They don't I didn't know they that were that in. Is. I didn't know they were in Gallifrey, or I thought. I thought well, the doctor just says in... they don't move anywhere in space. Yeah. They, oh. they, so yeah. that is. The, the I thought they'd just Gallifrey, gone to you know the local the pub, which is just absolutely destroyed, and then there's <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. No, the, quite they're going. They're going to Gal. They go to Gallifrey. Also, the end of the universe apparently is 4.5 billion years in the future and not 100 trillion years in the future. I, I don't... I assume there's a time jump when the Doctor goes from the confession dial 
to Gallifrey. You'd think that, except they say explicitly it's 4.5 billion years after Clara died. No, no, no. Yeah. They say for the Doctor, but it's 4.5 billion years after Clara died. The Doctor, like, the time in the confession dial is 4.5 billion don't years. Don't they specify that they Gallifrey is 4.5 billion years in the future? No. Because I feel like they do. I'm almost certain I they don't. I don't think so. I might... You're probably right. I might check a transcript. That's understandable. You're I, welcome to. Yeah, I, I've I've made a list of every new Who episode in chronological order, so I've thought about the dating a lot, and I'm <laughs> no, I'm that's I. Bonk. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm okay. I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty certain. I'm pretty certain it's been 4.5 billion years for the Doctor in the Confession Dial, and they moved Gallifrey to the end of the universe. Uh, also, it wouldn't make much sense for like. Anyway, we're talking about how bent. Yeah. We should be talking yes, about. about um, Heaven sent, but yeah. we are also talking about the hybrid. It also, sorry, I, I want to say it also wouldn't make much sense for them to hide Gallifrey at the end of the universe, and that's coincidentally also the exact amount of time it took for the doctors yeah. to break out of the confession dial. Yeah, no, that would be silly. Okay, no, they specify, they say throughout the episode, we're several billion years, or you died billions of years twice, um, mm. which. 100 trillion years is 100,000 billion years. It's a few too many billions yeah. for you just to say um, some billion years ago. Like, that feels like a significant understatement. It, it is. feels like you they should a billion, say a billion, trillion a billion, years. A billion, yeah. and, like, they don't, they're never explicit about it, so you can interpret it, but it feels weird. And, like, uh, there is obviously a big time gut jump between the Hellbent Ruins at the end of the universe, which is post-Utopia, and the Hell, like, Hellbent Gallifrey, which I'd say is pre-Utopia. I yeah. assume it is. Yeah. So, like, there is th those gaps there, but... But is that 100 trillion years? Yeah, I feel it's... Like, saying billions of years is a little bit of an understatement. I, I, yeah. I it's assume... It's a bit of a lack of consistency. Yeah. I just assume it's that it's a, a way of saying a long anyway. time. I... I, I don't that's interpret fair. it that much. That's I think fair. it's just a bit before the year 100 trillion. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I, like, you know, I think, yeah, it's just billions does not line up with 100 trillion, but like, because four point, it's impossible to overstate how little 4.5 billion is to 100 trillion. Like, yeah, no, it's absolutely. It's impossible to say how little of a percentile that is. It's like the amount of money I own versus the amount of money Elon Musk owns. Yeah. yeah. Gallifrey and history students must absolutely be like loving life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Time lords, God. Oh, anyway, <laughs> heaven sent is actually what the word, we're not talking about hellbent yet. No. Sorry, We have sorry. to save that for the second half of the podcast. We yes. need to go back onto heaven sent. <laughs> yeah, we need to go back. Okay, I mean just heaven, it's it's so good. In fairness, there's not actually that much to talk about. No. It's so good, it's effective. You've got the horror aspects. I've talked about that as a game. Like, the moments work really well. After it consuming a great deal of soup. There's soup. Good soup. <laughs> There's good soup. Good so soup. Because nobody nice. needs soup more than Goop him. Soup. Nobody <laughs> needs soup no. more than 12. Oh, someone needs to make a thing where Evil Dan just comes You out. need Definitely. to make a thing. Yeah, you are you the are meme. meme maker. Oh. This is you your duty. You are the meme maker. Well, you're, you're called the Time Lord, so let's just the call you the, the, the meme lord. <laughs> the meme lord. Oh, the meme lord. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not saying there should be an exact role where I'm just where it's, there's just a meme lord. But there should be an exact role. But I am for saying memes. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Oh, that's glorious. I that support glorious. this decision. Also, yeah. um, to, on, on on heaven sent, can we all agree? And I know we're not 
all going to, Joseph. What are we not can, going to agree can, on? Can we all agree that on the first loop round, the Doctor has to be naked? No! What? <laughs> no, because where did the first set of clothes by the I fireplace come from? Can you imagine agree, just like one Doctor's just I brought like, this up. Oh, no. Like, and, you know, I agree with this. That being said, I assume that there is just a set of clothes that happens to be the same in the confession dial. But for me, that defeats, like, the interest of the loop. Like, that that's a hint that it's a loop. And if it there is. was one originally there, it's, that defeats the whole right. point. This guy's able it to does. have, like, a, a like, cup of water is, in his pocket. I'm sorry, Joseph. No, Ollie, I completely <laughs> agree with you that it is kind of a consistency. But if the first loop, the Doctor did not wear clothes, then when the teleporter reset to containing the Doctor, the Doctor would also appear with no clothes. No, that, because... Uh, the way the room originally was is how the doctor was teleport. Sorry, the doctor at the end of face oh, the yes, raven. Oh yes, no, yeah. you're right. You're right. You're, of course, no, you're right. The doctor's second half of the loop is the no clothes one, where yeah. he just decides to take off all his clothes and wander Be- around the castle. Because like. because they're all wet, he doesn't want to wear soggy clothes for the next I few think weeks. I will accept the argument that on the first loop he is wearing nothing but damp underwear. And on the second loop, he goes commando. <laughs> yes. And after that, okay. yeah. that's oh a complete set of trials. I'll go with that, I'll go how with many, that. Like, how <laughs> many loops Sonky would it take? Man. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just like, I, just imagine just like one loop, he's not wearing any shoes, he's walking around, he's got soggy socks, he's just... Don't bring up wet socks, actually that's against the rules. What? Oh god. <laughs> I know, there's... Just imagine the veil's just like, where is he? And you just hear sort of wet clothing wandering around the castle. Yeah. I mean, the fault of the veil does okay? not need to say where is he. No, that is a very funny fault, yeah. Um, the veil doesn't thought. have to say where is he. The veil knows. The veil knows. The veil can hear him going, oh, this, these clothes are absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Yes. And then, of course, we get... The that final, incredible yeah. final scene. Yeah, you get the montage, oh, the loop. It's the, so it, good. It's so good. It is so, so good. Mm. It takes the build-up, and it works really well. I um, love I love the thoughts of the Time Lords watching it, and he goes, so, yes, there's a shepherd's boy, and then he dies, and like, I want to hear the rest of the story. And then they realise he's going to keep doing it, and so they just skip forward, hearing a bit of more of the story each time. Like doing. we do, yeah. yeah they, they are doing what we Can do. Can you imagine just, like... Okay, kids, today the doctor is going to be telling you a story. And he just cuts to the video. <laughs> 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 punching through pure, just like, like 400 times harder than diamond. Just yeah. <laughs> There's a shepherd's boy. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it's, it's very funny. Um, I do want to say, what were the Time Lords expecting to happen if the doctor just died? Like this is the next part. This is the next part in the overconvoluted plan, which I did not in fact mention before. Is that in most real life prisons, they have a specific way of avoiding any way in which a prisoner can injure themselves for good reason. Um, Especially if you're trying to interrogate someone, as the doctor says in this episode, you are the only irreplaceable person in the interrogation chamber. And while that's not always true, often there are other people who know the information. As long as as you're the only person with the information. Yeah, as long as you're the only person, it's true. And here, the doctor is very clearly the only person, because the doctor knows the secrets of the hybrid, and the Time Lords know that the doctor knows somehow. I don't remember how. Um, There might have been an explanation that I've forgotten. There was some vague, slightly convoluted. Oh, mm. really? I know. Who shocking. Would have um, because the like, oh, sorry. Just, then, they, like, do they? 
un- come to the understanding that did they know that the doctor would be able to crawl? I mean, like we have to assume that you know the doctor says they d- no one gets it right with time lords. It takes us weeks to die. That's why we have confession dials or whatever, which is a tragically underexplored point in the rest of the show. It and is. I feel, mm. I mean, hey, the, there are some two people who can get it right with time lords: Daleks who go pew, um, <laughs> yep. and time lords themselves. So it makes sense that this is in fact a deliberate decision by the Time Lords, which presumably, do the Time Lords therefore know and expect the Doctor to realise this and loop himself? But like, what if the Doctor just decided not to? Like, isn't the point of the loop and the fact that the Asbantium, that's what it's called, doesn't reset? Like, that's not the intended, you're not meant to be able to do that. Um, I got that image of Pingu saying, well, now I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and you can't no. see me and Lottie both doing the pose. And <laughs> uh, Ollie's joining in. Yeah, no. it's I'm like, surrounded by Pingu. No, no. We have to We need to get onto Heaven's Head. Well, now I'm not doing it. <laughs> but, like, just, I don't know. It's like, there's a very, like, if he just doesn't, or if it's, like, doesn't think about it. The Doctor dies, and I don't think that's in the Time Lord's interest here. Like, that's not really what they're trying to do. I um, think what what I have to headcanon, or for me it just doesn't work, is you, you've, you've got to say the Time Lords don't expect him to create the loop because how how yeah, could they, they even predict that? But the, the, the other thing is I feel like I think they're saying... If they've got to the point where the creature's actually killing the Doctor, there's no way they're going to get the information out of him. I'm not entirely convinced by that, but mm. I can't think of anything that's more convincing. Yeah, that has, like, I kind of have to agree. The other he... alternative is they think when he's in that much pain physically dying, he will confess just to end the pain at that point. Oh, yeah, possibly. But... Which is why they get it wrong. Yeah, it... which is why they do something which doesn't kill him straight away, but just leaves him in agony and unable to regenerate. That is also fair, but also he will die, and he does die. I mean, I guess he uses up the last of his life force or whatever. In the only time a character using up their life force actually has any meaning, as um, I say to, I just gave away 10 years of my life. What does that mean? (laughs) Nothing. Um, (coughs) Sorry. Um, Ah, my baby is. (laughs) uh, You know, it's like the Doctor is going to die, and at that point, the Doctor may be in a lot of pain, but, I mean, they underestimated just how stubborn the Doctor is, but if the Doctor reaches the point where he is dying, at that point, you know, I guess you could say, does a Cyberman fear a merciful death? But I don't think the Doctor... The Doctor is stubborn. I think this is pretty consistent mm. across most incarnations. I, I love the idea, particularly with Capaldi, but with the Doctor in general, that the thing that the Time Lords get wrong is underestimating how stubborn he is. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. feels that right. That is very true. That does feel right. And it, like that, that's the point of the loop as well. Yeah. But, like, the Doctor is never going to confess on the like deathbed like that. It feels like... The implicate every step of the plan along the way as like seventeen moving points of failure. I feel like Rassilon doesn't understand the Doctor. Yes. Inherently. But, yeah. but still, that doesn't change the fact that Rassilon is aware that they could stop time and grab the Doctor <laughs> out of the time stream for a moment. Yeah. And yeah. you know, 
chain him up in a mundane way mm. and maybe then confession to Arthur like in a way that's not less or do something to torture in a way that's not necessarily torturing I don't mm. know figure something out it I just like the fact that someone someone on Gallifrey, Lord President, to taunt the Doctor even more, uh, we've decided to put the TARDIS behind this, uh, like, this in, in, almost impenetrable wall. And then we'll remove it once he manages to somehow Tardis break the wall. Because it's not the TARDIS, no. it's a cardboard cutout. Come with the <laughs> eight Doctor at home again. But also, wow. but also that's just like we're watching the, they're watching the recording. Okay, cool. What's he doing now? He's punching it. What? He's punching <laughs> through it. What do you mean he's punching through it? Yeah. No, <laughs> he's just it. looping and punching. Yeah. No, I, I, I love Heaven's Sam. I, I imagine the, the, the Time Lords, like from the Time Lords' point of view, they, they, they get this all in one because it's a, it sort of teleports him to a particular point in time. And so they're like, okay, we've got this CCT footage of the Doctor Somehow he's got to Gallifrey. How did he do that? I'm going to watch this footage. Wait a minute. This footage is four and a half billion years long. Oh, How did God. that happen? Can you imagine someone having to edit that down for the For the, <laughs> the syndication. For the castle. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's very funny. No. All right. Okay. Props um, to the um, editors at the BBC having to cut down four and a half billion years long of Peter Capaldi. Into 45 minutes. So it's even an even number. Minutes. Um, so yes. that... Yeah. If you take years to minutes as a linear form of conversion. Like yeah, as or a, billion a years to minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, billion years, at least it operates on powers 10. When you get from years to minutes, then you have to go into days. And it's like... Mm. like or I guess billions of years to 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, the poor BBC editor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just in a room by from themselves. From the Balafrayan <laughs> Bureau of Television Control. <laughs> um, yes. That's why they call it Balafray. Um, Anyway, yeah, no, I think... And so the Doctor is so stubborn that he breaks through and gets the Gallifrey and Hellbent begins. Hellbent begins? This is an episode. He didn't expect me to ever say Hellbent begins that excitedly. I did not. Oh, God, no. See, that's the fun thing. I get to to be honest about this now. Yes. This is the episode that every, every single time I've watched it, I liked it more. I disliked it on first watch, and I've liked it more every time I've rewatched it. I didn't dislike it on a first watch, actually. That's the thing. Um, like, I was confused. Like, I will admit, parts of the, like, it took me a moment. I tried to think about it more than I would have to think about a normal episode of Doctor mm. Who. But that is part of the point, in a sense. And it is an episode that rewards a strong sense of critical thinking, I believe. The um, thing I love about this trilogy in general is it's very unlike normal Doctor Who. It's not a typical finale. It's structured differently. Everything is done in a different way, and that makes it so much more interesting than just doing, oh, the world's in danger, the universe is in danger, let's save it again. Well, there's something very important about this episode to get it, which is that it is unique amongst finales, in that this episode is a tragedy. Yes. It's the only Mm. finale that is a tragedy. Others have tragic elements. They have Journey's sacrifices. Journey's comes very close. Journey. Yeah. But, but in all of how them... How bent is, yes. In all of the others, even with their tragic moments, the Doctor wins. Mm. He saves the universe. He saves the day. I don't feel... It doesn't in, always... The Doctor may not always feel like he wins, but, but the universe is does. saved. They do, yeah. Yes. Um, even, like, you know, like, I, the Doctor at the end of 
journey's end, the solemn shots in the TARDIS, the Doctor does not feel like he has won, but there is still a universe. There's yes, still a he has saved the entire of reality. He has it's just fundamentally won. Not good enough. It's just... That's not good enough. Boom. Tragic sacrifice. <laughs> but with this one, he loses everything. He fails in what he's trying to do. He betrays everything that he stands for, and he doesn't succeed. And he fails because of his own specific flaws. It's a classic tragedy. Yes, and I would completely, like, you know, I mean, especially with the specific flaws, obviously, you know, if you put Hamlet in Othello and Othello in Hamlet, you know, um, Hamlet's flaw that leads to the tragedy is that he can't really decide if he wants to kill Claudius or not. He's so indecisive about getting his righteous revenge that he ends up, by the time he does it, everyone, like, he loves dies. Um, he, he has several opportunities to do it and he's always moaning on like can I do it? A fellow, if he'd been there with like cool, stabs him, becomes <laughs> king we done it um, if a fellow, like Hamlet was in a fellow, the tragedy there is that a fellow is too quick to believe Iago who is manipulating him into um, believing Desdemona is unfaithful too quick into anger and violence if Hamlet had been there to woe and pontificate about it for so long you can see the Shakespearean influence um, Hamlet never would have made that mistake the tragedy is suited to the character it is who they are that informs the tragedy and Hellbent does that very well I, my only one of my only criticisms is that I feel it could have gone harder it could have pushed that more and like yeah. I would I think it's good I think it would have been even better if it had like show the doctor crossing more lines make it yes. more explicit how far he has fallen because I think sometimes Stephen Moffat is too much of a coward I think that's true I think that's true and that is my biggest I'm that scared. is my biggest issue I'm with how bent Stephen Moffat <laughs> is a coward and that's why Clara gets gets to get away at the end. Yes. I'd like yes. to me it felt like he felt like he constructed his sort of his masterpiece of Capaldi's sort of arc in this series. Yeah. And then he was like but I want to put like a nice bit on the end. So let's it would be nice if Clara just had I some wiggle room. I want to curl the ribbons on this bow. Yeah. Yes. I I do think Clara should have gone straight back. To I think Clara should have had to go straight back. Yeah. Especially I know I talked about this with Joseph as well so the doctor, like the doctor's reason for wanting to erase her memories, hmm. comes across as hazy to me. When not only do we never see any signs of active Time Lord pursuit or the universe actually being in danger by Clara's presence, we also like, the, and the fact that Clara gets away at the end shows that there can't be any real active danger by her presence to the continued fabric of space and time, because hmm. uh, that's never accounted for. And, like she's going back the long way round. We don't get to see. The Time Lord seems to very explicitly give up on wanting to chase the Doctor down. It doesn't seem like, like, from what we see, and they should care, and if they were, that would provide more of an incentive for the Doctor wanting to do this. But They're still they recovering from the burns that Clara gave them in the cloisters. Oof, yeah. <laughs> I, th I think that's the only major that's, issue with the episode. Yeah, yeah, it's the fate of, like, the way it handles the Doctor is so well done, but the way it handles Clara is less so. Yeah. Yes. Given we are talking about how the Doctor's specific character influences Joseph. this, I must therefore talk about 
the correct interpretation. Before we of begin the this, Joseph, doctor. how far are we into the podcast so far? Can you give a timestamp? Uh, an hour and fifteen minutes. Oh my Wonderful. lord! Okay, now that we have that established, mostly for us because you could look down at the Spotify playlist link. Let's begin the real part of the podcast. Here we go. I promise I'm Woo! not going to do the whole thing. Otherwise, no, Joseph, this podcast... you need to do the whole you thing. You have to do the whole thing. We would literally be here for four hours. We have to, we have I to do it. I can't do that. Go, go as long as you can. As long as you can. Okay, I will go as long as I can, <laughs> and then I will cut this podcast down Peoples for you. of the world, no, actually, no, please attend carefully. I'll release the middle bit <laughs> separately. If we're going to release it separately, it needs to be recorded separately. Okay. But I, I feel not do like, this. get as much as you possibly can down. I'm going to say, I do have, like, a degree to do. I was aware this podcast <laughs> would be long, but I can't be here for four hours. Yeah. <laughs> I will give you the fundamentals, and then at some point I will explain in full, all, with all of the evidence. The Schneider, so. Schneider cut. <laughs> Fundamentally. Don't do that, okay. The Twelfth Doctor does not have a conscience. He is unable to identify the difference between right and wrong. He doesn't experience guilt in the normal way. It's evidenced in almost every episode in you've sleep got. No more. Shush. <laughs> I bring up the one episode that disagrees with this. Yes, um, I hate sleep no annoying, more. Which is fair. I hate sleep no more as well. You know, right from deep breath in the beginning, where he's facing off against the half-faced man. But he, he goes, pushes the half-faced man. Exactly, because he goes, um, self-destruction is against my basic protocol and murder is against mine. We both know one of us is lying. And that's the moment that he realises that it's him, that he is able now to commit murder because he doesn't have that anymore. And if I had more time, I would go on about how this is an arc that has followed all the way from the Ninth Doctor with the moral philosophy of each mm. doctor, but I won't go into that now. We do need a separate podcast on that. Mm. Don't we just? So you have that right through to the very end of his era where he's talking about Missy and he goes, she's the only one I've ever met who's remotely like me. It's not just about the fact that she's a time lord. It's about the fact that she doesn't have a conscience. She does what she likes and Bill's response is perfect it's so more than anything else you want her to be good because that's all the doctor wants you see it in into the Dalek when he's getting the Dalek to look inside his soul and he's going there must be something more because he wants it to see something good and instead it just sees Dalek things exactly you've got it I mean the 12th doctor's theme the track for it is titled a good man with a question mark it's the entire Especially in series eight, it is, you know, you go on with series eight, the build up to the question in Death of Heaven, the Doctor's answer is not, it's I am an idiot, but it's the build up there is the overarching question of that series, but it lasts onwards as well. It does, exactly. It's not finished there. It doesn't finish until the Doctor falls with that speech of I do what I do because it's kind. And, you know, then you've got his final speech at the end of Twice Upon a Time. It should have been at the end of Generation the Doctor speech. Because that is a really good speech, aside from maybe the one line about the children. That's a horrible line. But other than I that... I completely... I lo- Sorry. I don't want to get too much into this, but I love that Regeneration speech and I, speech and I hate that line. And I'm so glad I you have said this. I watching it live and I was like, oh, this is good. And it's like, and the children are like, what the heck? <laughs> no. What are you doing? Anyway, back to... Moffat, go back! <laughs> but the whole point is about 
he understands that to be good is possible with his set of rules. It's about more than having a conscience. And you know, it is about a decision rather than something innate. Exactly. And you know, it's played off in jokes throughout the year, you know, again, into the Dalek, Clara. Or the flashcards. Indeed, Clara is described as his carer. She cares so he doesn't have to. Or indeed, the flashcards, because he has to understand what the right response is, because he genuinely doesn't know. And that matters in this episode, because he's always relied on Clara to show him what the right thing to do is. And she's gone. He's lost her. And he's lost her for 4.5 billion years. Let's yes. just establish, not just mm. lost her, but he's lost her a lot. And so we get to see which rules he decides not to follow without her. Which is why he has a total breakdown. You know, you get the entire, basically, the entire first chunk of the episode. He doesn't speak. Which, it's so effective, those seven minutes before a single line. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, obviously you get the lines with him in the diner. Yeah, but those are, that's have, but chronologically they, in the episode. That's not yeah exactly yeah, and they spread them out a little. To yes, avoid you it. get you get the full seven minutes in which he doesn't speak post credits. Yeah, post and then you get you know what I mean yeah. post title sequence. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. But then you've got him dismissing the president and the high council and taking down Gallifrey in his rage. And the moment he changes is the line from Ahilia, the leader of the Sisterhood of Khan, where she goes, were you being cruel or were you just being cowardly? And on that line, the entire episode shifts because that is the moment he realises that he's got it wrong. Remind me which scene that line is in again, because I think I remember, but it's in the... It's, it's in, in the, the cloisters. cloisters. Yeah. That's what I thought, but yes, perfect. And at that moment, he goes back to the High Council chambers, starts talking about the hybrid, starts working to get Clara back, starts doing what he's actually there to do, mm-hmm. rather than effectively exacting his revenge yeah. mm. that he's been doing for the rest of the episode. One of the things I wish it felt more like is that he actually made Gallifrey fall the yeah. removal of the High Council is very much brushed over, but is significant because he's not just going for Rassilon, who, f- fair enough, Rassilon literally tried to kill him yep. and for some reason did not use his murder gauntlet of omnipotence, <laughs> which he was still wearing. Yep. He just didn't use I it. I mean, I assume all the spaceships that were surrounding him would have just like shot him if he tried to do that. But Rassilon's a spiteful like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but he also her. really wants to survive. Like his whole thing in the end of time is, I will not die. I will do anything it takes not to die. Yeah, that is very true. That is very true. true. But even then, he could have gone out, like when before the spaceships arrived, and yeah, he could have done it straight away, Hmm. or right after when the first soldier threw down his gun. Yeah, no, he could have done. He just didn't know he needed to. Then, He, 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 in his arrogance. It didn't even occur to him that his soldiers wouldn't immediately do what he said. It's more than Timothy Dalton Rassilon, who would not have hesitated. It's true. <laughs> but, you know, Ollie, you say they don't stand in the ruins of Gallifrey. And while physically that's true, you know, mm. he tears down the society. He gets rid of the president and the high council. That is very and true. The that is very true. the entire point of the Time Lords, since their introduction, 
has been about their power and their authority and the way they are perceived. And if you tear that down, you destroy Gallifrey and you do stand in its ruins. Mm. That is, yes. that's a good, that's, that, I didn't mm. even think of that, but yeah. No, it is true. It is just, it is because I think it is a small failing of the episode that they do not emphasize this beat enough. It exactly. is a lot of the execution where mm. I still will find a little fault in the episode, not yep. with what is actually happening, but it's how they actually portray it. Because it makes me question if Stephen Moffat realised this is what he's doing. And yes. to be honest, a lot of the time I doubt that. It's because they spend so long focusing on Twelve and well, Clara, Clara, which is right, which is what they should do, that they miss the actual implications of their actions, which are what matter to the characters because yeah. their decisions are defined by their implications. Because yes. mm. that's the only thing that can define Twelve's decisions, which is why it's true. You should have had more emphasis on this however if you accept that in many ways this episode is from 12's perspective it's almost better that you don't get the emphasis on that because he isn't considering it he isn't that caring makes, yeah. he is completely yes, single minded I see what you mean he's hell bent he is hell bent literally it's the point nice. of the episode but that does not make it for a better episode to deny the audience that that is true like that is I can see where you're coming from yeah. but that is not a good decision for the sake of the episode yes what I'd say is if we give Stephen Moffat the benefit of the doubt a, a generous thing I know you can see wh why that decision would have been made if that's considered Nice. 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 And then, of course, he actually gets Clara. They escape. He, well, let us not jump over the fact that he takes a gun, which... The man who never would. The man who never would, Like, the indeed. point is, is that he is the man who never would, and here he does. Yeah. Because that mm. is the point of him breaking rules. And I almost feel like the episode doesn't do enough to play up this as well. Yeah. And he shoots someone. Because, yeah, he does not just grab a gun. It is not just that he grabs a gun, it's points it, and, and it's not an empty threat. Man. He shoots someone, and he makes them regenerate. And what? there is no... They and, say, and oh, he doesn't there is do it no stun setting. I don't know why you... He doesn't <coughs> even do it out of instinct. He says, how many regenerations, or something like that. He's literally yeah. just like... Would yeah, it have been yeah. better... Would it have been better if the general had said, I'm on my 13th life, and just died? And Ooh. he'd done it anyway. I, d I don't I, I don't know I'm curious what people say I think it might have been I think it might have been yes. I, I think it would have been but I'm not been, sure it would have been I've very bold for um, Moffat Moffat wouldn't do it because but Moffat wouldn't do it that's what yeah. I'm thinking yeah. that is the issue but. but I think it would have been a better choice for the episode mm. I also think removing the nature of the stun and just emphasising truly because I don't like the episode had to hit it hard. Talking about how Hellbent didn't go far enough, I don't feel like it hit this nail on the head enough because of how important it is to the episode. If people get lost because they do not see the tragedy, that is in part, you know, they should, like can think more about it. But also the episode needs to push exactly what is happening here more. That is true. Mm, and is I think true. that that would be to its strength even more because you know, I love it. He yeah. doesn't even look for another solution. Yeah. He will do... And the episode doesn't. He thinks he has to. Just, it just, you know, he just grabs the gun, shoots, and runs, and that's exactly what he should yeah. do. But the episode doesn't get to linger on that, and you could argue it's because the hellbent nature of it. But 
it's detracting from the audience's yes. perspective when you need to show the consequences of his actions to show how far he is going. Yes. And I think that would make the episode more and more and more effective. Because he can't see it, but the audience needs the dramatic irony. Mm. I would argue. That is my personal thoughts. I completely agree. I like, think it would have been nice to just see sort of... And also, the idea yeah. that he kills the general would be more effective, I think, as well. As much mm. as I love Tania Miller, um, but I mean, yep. Tania Miller, I mean, like, you know, it's just like, it's it would be so much more effective. And also, it would save us from another one of Moffat's attempts to say... Look how I write women. I understand <laughs> how awful men are, but like you, you're not. No, mm, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Oh. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, that's another reason why I don't give Moffat the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Were you going to say something, Walter? Uh. Yeah, most likely. <laughs> I, I was okay. going to say it's like I think in terms of lingering on the moment yeah. that the doctor has shot someone, I think it would have been good, instead of cutting to Clara and the doctor in the in America, I can't remember where they are. Um, they are in America. Yeah. Yeah, but where in America? That's what they're I'm thinking. They're in Utah. Yeah, in yeah. Utah. Yeah. Because it's near Lake Salantia. Oh, yeah, of course. It is. Because um, it's just like over the other hill, the yeah. doctor says. Yeah. But, but I was thinking, instead of like immediately cutting to um, Utah, which does decrease the tension and then distracts the audience as to what the Doctor has just done, um, it would have been nicer to see the Doctor maybe sort of, whilst whilst Clara's like questioning it, what did you just, why did you just do that? Why did you, or things like that, instead of just leading Clara to the cloisters. Yeah. I will actually discuss it's more of my like thoughts that. on the episode in general and the framing device and some of the things within the episode that aren't related to Twelve later. But I feel like jo we need to a go on with Joseph's yes, yes. Twelve through this episode, yeah. and b because it gets us yep. through it. Yes. And that's how, for example, I have things to talk about with the sliders and the framing device, but that's not going to work within the context of discussing 12. Yes. So let's bonk. You um, said sliders, I thought, woo. <laughs> let's go back to that. But also, I just wanted to bring up the gun thing because you were about to skip that over in a way and you might have come back to it later, but I feel it needed to be it said. It did need to be said. No, you're right. Yes, <laughs> you make a good point. Part so, two. Oh. Like, if the fact that you were about to skip it over... I think was like you know we maybe lacking for time, but that should be the most crossing of every single line the Doctor has. There is more than any other, and I don't. It doesn't quite get enough impact, and that is like I think you know that a level of execution. That fact that Moffat didn't go far enough is my biggest flaw in an episode I do love. I think I think that's true. I think the next really relevant point they steal the TARDIS yep they head off to the future so yeah we skip the cloisters because yep. because for you this episode is not about it is about 12 it is not about Clara it's not Clara is not actually relevant Clara has no Clara is a plot device in the episode too. Yes. Yeah, I, I will agree with that she's come full circle um, yes exactly <laughs> back to how she was with Matt Smith um, but, ooh yeah, <laughs> burn no. um, but no and then you get you do get the moment of what did Clara and Twelve say in the cloisters and to you that does not matter no I don't think it does and that is fair I mean I think it's a mystery and I like that they don't show the audience what they say mm. um, even if I think it adds a lot of that. just the nature of the mysterious line never heard 
adds a lot to the fire of Moffat and the other 12 Clara Shippers. Which, <sighs> uh, all of them 12 Clara Shippers. I'm sorry. Especially because it is repeating what they did do in Doomsday. Of... Which was... It's... I understand the pain. I feel the pain as well. Yes. But, you know, it's ultimately not important. I didn't know even, even though that, that Clara and Twelve shippers were out there. I didn't. didn't know. I didn't think that it was... I didn't think that they would think that. It's, but it, of course, that. but of course. People because the internet. Like, there's some in Hussock. Wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs> we will find we you. We will find you. <laughs> There we what go. Joe's not telling you is that she's one of them. I'm not, I'm no! Not, I am not. I know you've been lying to me for two and a half years. <laughs> I don't think I believe you. I, even, even though All you make it clear that you're not, down. you're also the main advocate for it. I'm not. Um, you're, you're the person who speaks about right it the now. most. I am the person who brings it up to irritate Joseph. That's yeah. that's also, what I mean, yeah. I am, I'm, not, I am not advocating for it, but I am. The, its existence does exist. And I do feel there is some level to represent. I want to represent different points of view. What we've learned well. about Jo—that's what I meant. She's, yeah. she's a spy for a uh, bad wolf. She can she can lie for two years straight, and she secretly ships twelve o'clock. I do not. Don't choose. Choose me of one or two, even if one isn't true. It's all three. Shut up. Right, moving on because we have now passed an hour and a half. Yeah. Oh, God. oh, it's only been 15 minutes since we started. Like, it the big has, one. Yeah. See, this is going quicker than I wow. thought We're um, actually making good time. We an are. hour and a half. <laughs> Look how this good. is now longer than the Morbius movie, and a better use of your time. Oh, my yes, God. Yes, it is. So, <laughs> they fly away in the TARDIS. Speaking of Matt Smith. And, <laughs> and the Doctor meets me. Not me, that would have been even better, but <laughs> me, <laughs> me, as in a shielder. You were in Doctor Who. And I'm going to bring this up, because on your behalf, because I did, don't think this is true, but a lot of people, when they think, what could we cut from Hellbent, think to cut this scene, and that is stupid. It is. Yeah. yeah. Because, here's the thing, this scene matters because this is the Doctor being faced by his biggest failing. This mm. is... The Doctor has tried to save somebody. This is... You've got the whole scene in The Girl Who Died with him seeing who he is, why he's got this face, and going, this means I save people. You know, no matter what, I'm going to save the person I can. And in doing so, he's effectively tortured me for centuries. You know, I the, almost wish Me was angry about it, but she can't be because she doesn't remember most of it. Exactly. Mm. And I mean, in The Woman Who Lived, she is. Yeah, in The Woman Who Lived, she is. At you, this you point, it's that. trillions of years. Yeah, in Face the Raven, I wish there might have been more of it as yeah. well. Uh, it might have you helped. Know, I, almost wish, feels more. I almost wish Me wanted to do this to the Doctor. You know, at the end of Face yeah. the Raven, you've got her apologising, etc. Yeah. It almost feels like she should want to, like it should I be revenge should for what to. the doctor did. I, I, I agree, to be honest. I think it would it would work better. But Stephen Moffat, as a coward, tries to let her off the hook and save her as well, uh, thanks to the magical wonders of Dino Tardis Adventures. Yes. Yeah. But you know, this is this is the biggest failing. You know, it's what eventually causes Clara's death. Eventually. Mm. 
it's it's what he's he's done and it's what he's doing again i also want to bring up because this is i feel really bad about this for the podcasters in the room but i am going to provide spoilers for Neil Gaiman's Sandman, one of my favorite comics of all time. The Netflix anime adaptation is coming out right now. Um, so I'm is going- this, Is this spoilers for the, for the comics or is it spoilers for the show? It is the end of the comics. Oh. Which means it will spoil the show. Um, <laughs> I'll by cover extension. my ears. Yeah, that's fair. Um, if you it just will excuse also me if I'm silent the, for a while. Um, animated, like, you know, the not audiobook adaptation, which I know Christian's listening to, but it's one of the things. Okay, so the premise of the last arc in Sandman. If you want to leave the room, Lossie, I you can, can put headphones on. <laughs> that works too. Okay. It does work. Yeah. I can confirm that if Lossie has headphones in, she <laughs> cannot like hear you. Yeah. In. I can't hear you. If I'm this watching Inside Number anyway, Nine, I'm, I'm not hearing anything. I apologize. We're gonna. I will let you know when the spoilers are actually about to begin. I can find my phone. It's um, on the table in front of me. And I don't know how I'm gonna let you know when they end because this is a, an audio-based medium. So you're just gonna have to trust me on this. Um, I'm just going to be listening to uh, uh, Who Socks. Um, yeah. No, I'm just going to be listening to uh, Who Socks uh, Out of the Shadows. Oh, nice. Oh, speaking, actually, Series of two topics, coming not very do you soon. The joke I made in the first podcast of the year about how bent and putting in that there's no discussion of how bent <laughs> in this podcast. Yes, I do recall that. <laughs> oh, that was even funnier knowing what I knew because I knew you were going to put it on at some point and I knew we were going to have a podcast on it. You kept on talking about it. Yes. There there's no stopping you. <laughs> I can't put not. on out of the shadows. Anyway. There's no Wi-Fi. Cool. That's right. <laughs> anyway, not downloaded um, spoilers episode. are about to begin now. The last arc of the Sandman features the death of Dream. La la la. Like you could, this is the major spoiler. He dies at the end. The last arc is the wake, which is not just people waking up. It is his funeral. Um, oh. Okay. This is a major spoiler. I'm not joking about this. Um, the point is, is that Dream, over the course of this, uh, has a long series-wide character arc, which is very similar to this, about his own nature. I think you would love the, the comics for this reason, though he's also very emotional, and there's some other things in there that aren't quite the same. But he's come to the conclusion that he should die and be reborn. Lossie, I can hear what you're listening to on the thing, but Lossie can't Sorry, hear Sorry, she us. can't hear you. That's, That's the whole point. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Well, that might slightly be on the podcast. Anyway, um, there's a huge amount dream over the course of things sets up his own death in a bunch of different ways. Effectively, ev- like all the previous storylines suddenly, con- like which are all completely independent, suddenly converge together as it's revealed how dream set things up to kill like himself to die um, with like this armory of Chekhov's guns and every time someone tries to save him another one goes off to stop them um, that it effectively forces him into a position where he has no choice but to die and you know with me it kind of like obviously 12 is not doing it intentionally but this feeling of all these Chekhov guns firing off here and now to make a tragic finale where the, like, I mean, Dream gets what he wants. He dies. Um, and then he's reborn, like, anew. Uh, he sets up his rebirth as well. But 
it, there's some there are similarities there that I think are poignant, especially because Sam is one of my favorite comics of all time, and the way it kind of nails that with Dream in order to cr crosses his own lines as his final action, um, you know, like well, rather when he realizes he's crossed his own lines, that's what motivates it all. It all comes back to take him out. It it feels resonant and relevant, I think, in many ways. It's not the same, obviously. Capaldi did not deliberately set it up, but Dream specifically antagonized certain people to get them to seek revenge on him. Like, th this was the, the driving motivator in it. And that kind of almost, I almost wish, there'd been slightly leaning not into that as a deliberate action on part of the Twelfth Doctor, but as a catching up of all his sins piling together, yes. especially in preparation for Series 10, his redemption, it would be perfect. Exactly. And that's because that is the exact point of this episode. And the more you can do yes. that, the better, I think. Yes. And that's why I wanted to say it. Exactly. And cool, I'm now going to go over and tap Rossi. The spoilers are now done. I am going to turn off my... <laughs> we could hear that a little. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> like, you could hear us, I hope. I mean... I heard the first, like, first little spoiler bit. I'm just going to get used to... I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's the big one, isn't the, it? The first, first little spoiler. And then I was like, ah, god damn it, turn on the music. Because adverts so on Spotify started. No, I was like, I'm so sorry. No! I'm so sorry. <laughs> When I said it was big, I am sorry, I'm sorry. Anyway. So I literally panicked and like... Viewers who turned your ears off, you can turn them back on now. Yes. And Welcome I'm sure back, you know everybody. That. I'm sure you know that. Um, and by everybody, I mean me. Hopefully, Joseph, what's a timestamp? <laughs> it's an hour 40. Cool. Um, <laughs> if you could put a timestamp in the description for Sandman spoilers across that interval, yes. we could then actually... Sandman spoilers and Lottie to... dies a little inside. <laughs> yeah, we, we actually avoid this happening to all I think that's the best way to do it yeah definitely. don't yes. become like me <laughs> I'm so sorry anyway you didn't get everything you did you only got the tiniest thing. yeah you, I hope you guys so, didn't like I hope I wasn't actually singing along to the words of ashes to ashes <laughs> you weren't anyway it's okay cool so now that that's said yes. back to so, me the point is hi hello the point is that you know this is the moment the Doctor realises that he's now doing the same thing with Clara, trying to stop her dying and bring her back, and that he can't do this. That's... It's vital I, to the I episode. I love the, the realisation... You know, the Doctor... Like, the, the reason why the Doctor could save Clara was not set up, but it did not need to be, because it was not going to work. Um, just, like, getting them outside of Gallifrey's field to reset Clara's whatever. No. It sounds silly, but it's because the Doctor is chasing this fleeting hope. Yeah. Mm. The Doctor will do whatever it takes to save Clara, even if it's impossible. He, he can't admit defeat. Even if Clara doesn't want him to. Yeah. He spent yes. 4.5 billion years doing this. He could have... At any point, he gave them the information on the hybrid anyway. He could have confessed, and mm. ultimately it wouldn't cost him to... I mean, you don't want to give it to Rassilon, perhaps, but it, it, it was done because it would give him leverage yeah would, like and you know i mean the question is then does that tie into what you said about how the ohilla line earlier pivots the episode around if he was doing this to save clara all along or if he just was doing it out of stubbornness and wanting to get out without necessarily revealing this to captors and it's a good question he is very stubborn indeed he mm. is but you know it's <laughs> part of the point you know he talks about having a duty of care 
and he really does genuinely see it as a duty. It's yeah. not a choice for him. He do, he doesn't have the option to not do this because you know part of him not having the conscience means that this is a thing he has to do. If he says he doesn't have to do this, if he's able to say it's okay, she's dead, I don't have to try anymore, then he can say he can do anything because he doesn't have that same The laws of time are mine! Mm. Th- they will it's a very Time Lord Victorious moment. I, to me, there are three times in Modern Doctor Who where the Doctor goes a bit like this to different extremes and in different ways and I feel like one of them is this, one of them is the Time Lord Victorious and one of them it's significantly less extreme, but I feel like it's overlooked somewhat, and I quite, I do quite like it, is in Series 7A, when Eleven travels without Amy and Rory for a bit, and he, like... You mean, like, Town Court Mercy? Yeah, so, I mean, it's it starts in, uh, like, on Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, we see... Oh, we, we, sorry, we, 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 <laughs> we see Eleven... Like killing well, no, Solomon was... in cold blood, well, and first we see that the title feels... where we are and what year it is. To, to me, that moment on, on its own feels unjustified, but in connection with the series as a whole, it feels like he's been travelling without Amy and Rory, and he's starting to lose his morals, and that catches up in in a town called Mercy. Well, and when I... I say I could talk about the moral philosophy of all the modern doctors and yeah. the Ark. That is what yeah. we covered. It's very. So, I do. I think yeah. it is in fairness. It is a partially a weakness because it catches up and resolved by Town Cold Mercy and because the Angels Think Manhattan relies on the status quo that Series 6 is ending abolished in a sense and it kind of reverts back to that um, in a way especially with Power 3 in the middle you know it's like and I agree that there like there is a line there and there are things to explore and things to consider and I wish those episodes did it more and were less understated about it and also, I wish Dinosaurs on a Spaceship was better. Um, don't we all? Don't we all? And also, I wish Asylum of the Daleks was... Venice, I wish all the bad episodes were better, because I would rather the show have more good episodes. Yeah. Um, Indeed. Of course. But, of course. Um, I don't well, wish I Legend think... of the Sea Devils is better. That's just... It's terrible, and I love it. I, re- I really... I love I laughing at it. I wish Power of the Doctor was better. I so tried to... What I, I should go back to... I, watched, I no, need to, I I need Legend to finish Legend of the Sea Devils Flux. after my... Family's Easter watch of Jesus Christ Superstar. Yes, oh I know gosh. how long this podcast is taking. And I was drunk. Uh, so I was watching this late with a couple other people, a bit sloshed. And Legend of the Sea Devils was a fantastic time. <laughs> you should see me discussing it on that podcast a year ago. I, I ch- I've try- I'm trying to go through Flux at the moment. And you watched episode four yet? No. no. I, I need, I need a bit of like some respite before from episode three first. Yeah, that's fair. But like, I could yeah. only watch two, like, at like 10 or 18 minutes of um, Legend of the Sea Devils before my brain said stop watching this and play on your brother's DS <laughs> yeah that's that's bad to understand the episode is so una- I dug out my so brother's appalling. DS it's <laughs> appallingly bad anyway Dragon Spider watched- episode which yeah. isn't appalling we have, we have, have to keep on going yes. yes so you know then they go back into the TARDIS and Clara has reversed the polarity <laughs> of the mind wipe device yes which, which you know I don't mind I like that it's. I mind it a little because a, I don't know if the doctor thinks he can save Clara. Is the mind wipe device necessary? Uh, And there's a lot of the motivations around it and around why he does it that I dislike, especially in like comparison to how he does Donna, which is done because Donna would dies either way. 
Donna does die in Journey's End in every yeah, death absolutely. of identity that matters. Yes. But this way, the Doctor is giving, at least to Sylvie and to Wilf, you know, a chance. And we'll get to see more of this in the 60th. Maybe, you know, that decision will be rewarded, actually. Because Donna would have died either way. So yes. it's better to save what we can. And that's why I don't think the Doctor's decision in that episode, sorry, is unethical. <laughs> um, I've but here it's the motivations behind it the fact that the time lords aren't shown pursuing or yes, chasing it's unclear it, why he needs to wipe her memory yes it doesn't know if this would actually is this going to stop the breaking of the universe and because it fails obviously the point is is that it doesn't matter which means why did he try exactly and like i it gets into what is the perfect punishment in many ways or not quite the perfect punishment but pretty close anyway but it that is the issue with it for me and i feel like if along with going harder the episode needed to nail that landing more and that would put it from like a four out of five to a five out of five and you don't know how uncomfortable it made me to use a scale out of five <laughs> i was about to say don't you rank things out of four i do but joseph would have joseph would have just why been four rude. It because works she's insane it works better. but what if you have a middle ground 2.5 I don't like yeah, using not decimals. Not only does she mark out of, fu- out of four, I she does it zero with decimals. Wait, why don't you decimals. Just, hang on, how many decimal places? Just a point five. So why didn't you just do out of eight? That's not a first of all. That's not the same number of numbers. It's no, actually not quite. Equivalent to ten. No. Okay. Um, you could just just do it out of ten then. Ten. No, but secondly, there is a very difference in the vibes of how much percentage represented in terms of numbers, and also a difference, for example, between a. 0% and a 20%. I'm too dumb for maths. Zero, 0 out of 4 and 1 out of 5. Like, a 0 out of 4 is so unapologetically bad. It also is because I tend to... My, my actual average rating is the average rating. That is how I feel if I feel something is, like, you know, just, like, not good enough. Um, I'm not the kind of person who's, like, oh, it got below an 8 out of 10. Like, you know, it's not... Like, an 8 out of 10 is bad. No! Like, if something gets a 5 out of 10, it should be watchable. Um, you should represent things and don't just miss out all the middle numbers. And I think a scale of 0 to 4 is more concise and gets that across more clearly. <coughs> and it's clearly irrelevant. Because I think we want to actually talk yes. about the episode. Move and on. I was trying to avoid it by using a 3 <laughs> out of 5. So I didn't have to justify myself. Well, that worked. It well, didn't work because of Ollie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've wanted to know for ages why you rank things out of 4. And I feel and like something you wanted you know. to get out. That's fair. Anyway, um, it's the thing that, like, it's the two things that hold the episode t- back a little for me, as good as I think it is. And it gives me a legitimate grounds of criticism from which I could pretend to hate it for two years. <laughs> <laughs> like, if I actually liked everything, it would be so difficult to try and think of things I didn't like to pretend I didn't. But yes. if I have a few criticisms, oh, I can just extrapolate and build on I that. I just imagine you going on Google and looking for people who hate the episode, and then you're just, like, sort of, you're taking those ideas. And you're See, I didn't need to. I can think critically enough yeah. to know how I would... Yeah. Uh, like I did enough debates and they ask they don't tell you what side you're debating for until 20 minutes before the match Um, at least that's the way they did in the states so you can guess how that helped me prepare for arguments Um, yes yeah it's quite useful (sighs) anyway sorry Joseph go on Um, yes so instead the doctor's mind is wiped off Clara 
Yeah. And, and I mean, I like the, the point that I like here is that it emphasizes the similarities between Claw and the Doctor. The flaws that actually got her killed, coming back to punish the Doctor now, which is very mm. funny. Yes. Um, even if I don't like, I feel like there might have been a better way to execute the tragedy, but I like this and like this is a good way to do it. My only issue is again that motivation, but ultimately it's a small thing, um, a smaller thing, and you get into that. The Doctor's mind is wiped. You get into here's how the diner works. Here's what's going on. Yeah, because you know here's the thing. This is the real tragedy. Is he's now not just lost Clara. He's lost any memory of Clara. Yeah, and he does not get that back until his redemption. Until exactly the Doctor falls, and then also has to wait for twice upon a time for the what's it called? The it's not the Tesselector. It's the testimony. Yes. Um, mm. I was gonna say Tesseract next. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But you know, it's like. What is it with Clara and testimonies? Good question. Um, and I mean, I dislike the execution of that a lot because I dislike the concept, like the testimony, and I feel episode flaws. But the idea that he gets the memories back in the end is perfect, yes. especially with series 10 as his redemption, um, which it, it works really well. Exactly. Uh, though I don't know how I'd. I feel like Husbands of River Song almost should be further along in the redemption rather than the start. Though maybe Joseph can explain this to me. Um, <laughs> I can, but I won't do it now. <laughs> that's fair. Cool. Anyway, go on. Well, I think that basically wraps up Your most point. of the episode. It cool. wraps up. We get on to the framing device, actually, yes. which is what I wanted to talk Indeed. about. Um, the framing device now, it's. I mean, the obvious misdirect is it's an echo of Clara from whatever, from name of the doctor who the doctor can't quite tell that oh I travelled with you yada 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 um, but you know there's this misdirect here and the framing device on one hand I think it's a positive for building up the mystery of the episode and on the other hand it's a symptom of a lot of the things I dislike about the episode if my fix if I was to fix it more the framing device would become less and less and less relevant but the framing device is also a strong part of the mystery of the episode and that it does raise a dilemma there um like the framing I mean you know in one ways I feel like the framing device's pacing could have been used to establishing the consequences of the doctor's actions um but also it's needed for the last scene it's needed for some level of the closure of the episode I just don't... I feel like there may have been better ways to execute it, as well as also the nature of Clara's punishment, which is that Clara ultimately, you know, Clara gets off with Im immortality. In a sense, the Doctor does save Clara's life. He just doesn't get to remember or live with any of it. Yes, um, which is why I agree it would be better if he I had to I feel like it would back. be better if Clara had to go straight back if mm. Clara could not stay, if the legitimate danger to the universe was more emphasised. Perhaps the fact that the universe was approaching its end so quickly came about because, I don't know, that's a really minor continuity detail to wrap up in there, and I think it's stupid, but to wrap up with the idea that Clara is still, like, here and around, and it's just, there is a threat here to the fabric of time. Yes. Um, which is really difficult to portray, or just that Clara cannot actually last long, and that... You know, it would be really funny if, like, her processes weren't frozen, just slowed down. Uh, and, like, you know, to a point where 
she'd have to be returned or she'd just die here and time would break or whatever. Something yes. like that. Mm. That mm. could have been done better That's to a good force idea, actually. the yeah. return. Um, to force it to have to happen because that it's a, one of the other things that undermines it because Stephen Moffat was a coward. Um, that is true. But the issue is if you do that, the framing device cannot exist anymore as it currently does. Yeah. And so, you know, I feel like on one hand, it could give you a far more somber ending, which actually I don't, I think might be a good thing for the episode. Um, though it makes it harder to lead in directly into Husbands of River Song, which is so unrelentingly upbeat. Um, yes. I, I, I like, see, I, I don't like the good ending in Clara having wiggle room or whatever. I, I like there's some sort of better feeling when the Doctor steps into the TARDIS, gets the new screwdriver, everything lights up. I like that. Like, nothing explicitly good happens, but it's like it's, the Doctor's it's a, home. It's a rebuff. It is coming home after yeah. all the pain mm. he has suffered. Yeah. Mm. And he is missing Clara, both in the TARDIS and in his mind. But the fact that Clara and me get not even a spin-off series, but just get mm. to... It feels like, you know, it is a punishment in many ways for 12, but it, it also undermines it a little bit because of the cowardliness. Yeah. And the other thing I want to get onto is the cloisters, which are ultimately completely irrelevant to the episode in they every are. possible way. Yeah. And mm. that confuses me, especially because you build up the sliders or the cloister prophecies of the episode. It's meant to be an interesting bit of Gallifrey world building, which I feel like could have been used to world build the consequences of the Doctor's actions. And instead it's very vague and just a thing here. Oh, look, let's put Dalek, Sidemen and Weeping Angels yeah, in the episode. Yeah, first of all, you don't need Dalek, Sidemen or Weeping Angels there. You have the sliders. Yeah. You have mm. the, these unique Matrix enemies with a cool design, and they never do anything but wander around in the background of shots ominously. And to be fair, neither do the Dalek, Sidemen or Weeping well, Angels. The, the, they never present a threat, and yeah, they're supposed to be mm. like three of the most scary Doctor Who monsters. Yeah, but having the sliders in there, escaping into the... The cloisters, the matrix, is not less, is not a bad idea. There's some fun stuff in there. There's fun things you could do in there, um, especially. But it ties in also to my narrative dissatisfaction with the hybrid. I like, for example, the idea that the Doctor left Gallifrey because he was scared. But it's also the Doctor left Gallifrey because he was scared of the hybrid. Is the implication in how bad did Helen sent? Yeah. And that's, yeah. it's not something that's ever come up before. It comes up in series nine. It's suddenly incredibly important. And then it's not. And the point is, it's not important. The hybrid's identity, it doesn't ultimately matter. That is the point of the episode. But after so much build-up, that being the reason he leaves Gallifrey, that is why it can feel like being pulled out from under the rug. Yeah. Um, and the, the disappointingness of the Matrix, because what Hellbent nails is Capaldi as a character, and the Twelve, mm. rather, as a character, and Capaldi's acting within that is perfect. But... It, it throws up the most important ball. Like how Angels Take Manhattan, in my opinion, is a fallible episode, but it nails the most important thing, which is the emotional impact of Amy and Roy's departure. Yeah. Absolutely. It nails that, mm -hmm. and that's why I'd consider it a masterpiece, even though it has so many flaws with the execution of the Weeping Angels, with yeah. a bunch of other things. And I'd say Hellbent falls into the same category. And if I'm saying I like it as much as Angels Take Manhattan, <laughs> it means I really like the episode. Yes. But it has a lot of flaws. It just nails the most important part. And yeah. if you did up the sliders, if you got rid of the rest of the stuff in the Matrix and did that, you could then create a story where when you use the extraction chamber, 
and pull them out. You take the power from the Matrix, keeping Clara out, releases the sliders from Brilliant! The Brilliant! Suddenly That's you can good. tie the both problems together. Yeah, wow. tie both and problems together. Uh, draining power from the Matrix, <laughs> the d- or draining power from Gallifrey's defences or whatever to maintain this, like, outside the extraction chamber. Suddenly the sliders are being unleashed and you get more ideas of the, do- the consequences of the drop and stuff. Which, you know, it would tie it together really nicely, make it feel more involved in it. It's perfect. It also gives you a more explicit version of standing in Gallifrey's ruins. Exactly. Yeah. As if yeah. you actually do stay together, yeah. these things will destroy Gallifrey. Yeah. And then mm. everywhere else. Yeah. Brilliant. And then we'd have every show on destroying Gallifrey, modern one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's true. And also, that, that's the other thing. My other disaf- like, it's not a form of the episode, but I dislike... I A, dislike that Gallifrey came back in Day of the Doctor, and I feel like there would have been a way to do it or have some time you'll survive without necessarily having to bring all of them back or save Gallifrey. Because I don't necessarily feel like in the general time of the point. The point is, at this point, the Time Lords were just as bad as the Daleks. The Doctor used the moment. The Time Lords were not collateral. Sure, they were innocents, but it was so far gone that that was beyond the point. And Moffat is, you know, not a, like, just is a, too much of a coward to let the Doctor make this decision. So he decides to give us a happier ending. In general, I don't agree overall with your point, but I, I do think... One thing I feel like Moffat forgets, and I feel like a lot of people forget, is that Rassilon and the Time Lords very much had the capability and were going to destroy like all of time and space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It wasn't just the time war, it was like the it was final sanction. the ultimate sanction. They yeah. were literally going to eradicate everything. Why do they not do this in Hellbent? Um, it's a good question, actually. Why don't they do it in Hellbent? Because there's no reason for Russell's Rass- motivation doesn't change. Mm. To be honest, that's a really good question. Um... And you know, I had never thought of that before. So, you know, that's actually a really good question. See, everyone forgets about this. Because, yeah, no, I mean, I remember it as why, and it's part of why the Time Lords, like, it is meant to be in- inconclusive that everyone in the council, aside from two people, vote for this option. And mm-hmm. sure, the High Council, it's like, you know, there's a level of. It's like. The British empire deserved to collapse but the time lords were more than just gallifrey the time war was more than just gallifrey and day of the doctor forgets that like what happened like did, did all the daleks blow up over gallifrey and that's the time all the daleks extinct forever and the time war over i'm pretty sure they didn't put all of the flipping like yeah and like all the scarlet degradations and the meanwhiles and the never was and that sort of thing it does fail a bit in my opinion in that way and so i kind of wish that this was new Gallifrey or a colony of Time Lords that had survived the Time War perhaps because of the Doctor's actions in Day of the Doctor without it needing to be Gallifrey itself. Mm. Which I could accept. Um, And then as a second thing which I'm going to get onto very briefly before we maybe get onto the podcast. Because we have now passed two hours. Nice. Uh, Do we want to do podcast questions? No. We'll do one. We'll do one. Okay, cool. We had quite Um, a lot of podcast questions. We do, but we're only going to do one. Do we? That's very funny. Um, No, it's because, I mean, you don't get to see, you haven't, you're not in the Matrix Facebook Messenger channel. So you don't get to see, you don't see that because we should invite you to that. Yes, we Uh, should. It's a. I don't have Facebook. See, that's. That's that's (laughs) fair. That's why I said we should make a Discord. Um, Sorry to. I'm part of the young squad. Yeah, pushing (laughs) Joe propaganda here. Anyway, point being. Of course, it is a shame that this is 
They brought Gallifrey back, and this is the only story set on Gallifrey before it is destroyed again. Yeah. It's a real shame. That's really irritating to me. Yeah, and that's all I wanted to say. Understandable. Okay. Singular podcast question. Hang on. I, I just want to express an appreciation. Sorry to make the podcast even longer. Go. I just... I. One thing that I've loved, even before I appreciated the whole Doctor arc, even on first watch, I love, love, love the scene with the, like, like ob- obviously the soldiers going to, mm. going to the Doctor, dropping their weapons, mm. and, like, the whistly, the Doctor's theme. That's, I think, the best ver- time of use of the, there. That's the best usage of the Doctor's theme, in my opinion. Mm. It's such a good one. It fits with the vaguely Western theme. And I it's, love the Western it's the such end. a lovely, it's such, not lovely, that's the wrong word. It's such, such a, a nice. powerful, <laughs> it's a nice moment. Nice. It's a powerful moment yeah. it is. when all of these soldiers, like, they, they all drop their weapons and they go to the doctor and every single one of them chooses to miss. Yeah. And the doctor knows this. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I real life firing spots. Most soldiers will have blanks. Only one parcel is an actual bullet in most firing squads. I Fun did not fact. Know that. Uh, because know they that. get six people to fire and that Fun way fact. you don't that way none of them have the guilt of killing because you only have a one in six chance of being the one to do it. You uh. could feel like it wasn't you. Here, not only did every single one of them have a charged weapon, they all missed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very fun. I think it's it's a brilliant, brilliant Anyway, moment. to go into another really long rant to extend the podcast further. Yeah. Would you like to get into the podcast, podcast question? question? I'm going to interrupt again now for Let's comic go. timing. <laughs> Let's go Can with... I stop interrupting Joseph? <laughs> Let's go with a Anyway, Ryan's sorry, question. there's something else I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah. Who is the Doctor's mother of the various characters in this episode who could be? In none of them. I, I didn't think of any of them as the, in the Hellbent. Mother. In Hellbent. Right, because obviously you have the the woman from End of Time is the Doctor's mother. I think it's supposed to be. Yeah. It is state. Mm. I mean, you can interpret however you wish. Death of the Author obviously applies, but I think Julie Garner said in Doctor Who magazine or whatever, this is meant to be the Doctor's mother. Yeah. You could interpret it as Romana. You could interpret it as all sorts of characters. It doesn't really feel like Romana though. No. Um, but you can interpret it as a new character. I, I think it's best as the Doctor's mother, but I think it can it's be best anyone. As the Doctor's mother. It can be anyone. Um, and I think it's really powerful in that way. Obviously, it can't be the Doctor's mother because, because of the, the time child. Is human. Mm. Oh no! Oh god! No! 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 no, no. I jump to the timeless child, where the Doctor <laughs> does not have a mother, um, which also validates it, meaning that woman is Tectayun. No, no. That's which is even no. worse, I think. Anyway, I mean, given episodes, I think it's like... there's the one woman who goes into the barn and speaks to the doctor and brings him soup. I think some I people think that good... she's the doctor's mother. I don't. I think, mm-hmm. given episodes like, listen, I've always interpreted as, the doctor, doesn't know his mother. I think the doctor was an orphan. The doctor came out of a loom. The doctor did not come out of a loom. That's what Longbow says. Longbarrow is wrong. I know, but I'm just doing this to irritate Freya now. As if Freya's listened to all two hours of this. I was going to say, do we think she has? Do we think anyone I made has? a joke about this I podcast would. lasting two hours earlier. I'm glad if I was you, right. Yeah, if, if you've, listened, if you've to listened to this, send us a sign in the Discord. Send, um, say, or oh, what should we make them say? A gift? Say, send them, um, what's it? What's a word that rhymes with bent and sent to put next to purgatory? Like, 
Um, I would like to make a third title of this Dent. for having repent. Yeah, um, purgatory <laughs> repent for having to this this podcast is your purgatory. You are repenting your way out of it now by listening to it all the way through. It, guys. Purgatory repent. Yes. Which have, which channel? Any channel? All, all channels? Of, all of them? All everywhere. channels? Purgatory yes, repent. Any channel? Any chat? Purgatory this repent. is going to be like the I I don't know if. I can't say the word, can I? I can't even like tell. Like that apocalypse See, thing yes. from the... Yeah. Here's the thing. I can't, I, I can't even reveal to people that my reveal here until the podcast comes out because I want everyone else to have the same reaction I got to see on Joseph's face. I, I need you. to spread... You, but you, you may hate me, Joseph, but you can understand the appeal and letting other people see the shock too, right? I can, yeah. Good. Then but we like we have to keep the secret. My point yes, was, to finish yes, it, yes. is that the Doctor was an orphan, so the woman in the barn is like his adoptive mother who like runs the orphanage or whatever it is on... Gallifrey. That, or, or maybe oh, the doctor's mums are the boys. The doctors, both of them are the doctor's mums, so the doctor's parents were lesbian. Quite possibly. True. Don't assume a standard nuclear family. The doctor is an ally, and the doctor's mums are gay. I mean, to be I to be fair, she was a future incarnation of the woman in End of Time. That is also yeah. fair. Also so in fact, like, that implies she somehow was went from being an orphanage to running on the Time Lord High Council, and then got. I mean, obviously, she got kicked out. After end of time, for not this happens with... after end of yeah. time. So, but you know, she went back there. I would assume, but it does imply that in a very classist Time Lord society, she was able to from being outside of Gallifrey Citadel and being a Shaboggan to becoming a Time Lord on the High Council. Which, yes, you have an inordinate like amount of time, but also the Time Lords are explicitly meant to stop that from happening in many ways. Which is why it's surprising the Doctor. Perhaps the Doctor did something to help her while he was president to make it happen maybe uh, but I mean also the doctor managed to you know go from being a barn out here a child to a member of the Pridonian chapter of Time Lords indeed so the doctor for someone who got middling academy grades clearly had something going for him nepotism anyway <laughs> yeah who knows who knows maybe Rassilon is the child. doctor's father Whoa. <laughs> or Omega is the doctor's father oh. grew up on stories of disappeared daddy and on that note if you're still listening, Purgatory if Purgatory still listening, do join us on our next podcast for which will trapped be in shorter. a room. <laughs> yeah, week. which feels like it's this. <laughs> How ironic! <laughs> for Apps. yeah, um, Edge of Destruction, Midnight, and Detained, our first episode of the year of Class. <gasps> oh so that will be fun. I know one person who will be excited. Paul Mark Davis. <laughs> I don't think he yeah, will. I don't think he will. <laughs> and so, with that, as we reach 130 minutes of podcast. Oh my, is this the longest podcast? Yes, yes. it is, by some distance. We won! Let's go! Yeah. Farewell to you all. I had zero hours of sleep last night. Sorry, I have one more thing to say. Oh, no! God! Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.